I thought 9-11 happened in Minnesota because of the Twin Towers and the Twin Cities. I was 10 years old. Wait, really? Oh, yeah. The Minnesota Twins. the whole morning, you were just like, wow, things are getting really rough in the Midwest. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, wow, Minnesota. And then someone's like, no, it was New York. And I got much more alarmed. Uh, Oh, sure. Real real shame about their baseball team. We we, we hate it when the terrorists attack our freedom of playing baseball. If I may, my dad was in New York with... Mayor Giuliani at the oh, time. Shit. No, oh, shit. Giuliani what? was thinking about writing a book, and my dad uh, is a ghostwriter for biographies. Okay. Oh and everyone's God. parents picked the kids up from school, except my mom didn't pick me up from school early. So I was like, I was at, at the end of the day, I was the only one who was there past like 2 p.m. That's so fucking teachers crazy. Teachers were like, I don't know, do your homework or something. I was like, hey, I just want to check that my dad wasn't killed. Can you call my mom? Oh, that my is harrowing. Holy shit. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> I didn't. So in Boston, kids went home. No, in Jewish suburban schools, kids went okay. home. You okay. Know, private Jewish school. Uh, right. You know, it was a little bit different with that. But yeah, no. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I went to a I went to a private Christian school. They did not send us home. Yeah. Uh, we weren't sent home. Parents just independently were picking kids. Yeah, up. I stayed at school the whole time and it was amazing because everyone in San Diego, California were like, we're next. We're the most, we're the next most important target in America. Yeah. Although in fairness, San Diego is like the big naval bases there. I yeah, mean, yeah. It, it, it does we make do some have a sense. nuclear power plant, you know, right. midway between us and Disneyland. So like, right. I, I, I get it, but also like, no, no one was coming for San Diego. I don't think, no. I remember I was mad that they didn't blow up the Statue of Liberty instead. I was like, mm. that would have made a point and you wouldn't have killed anyone. Someone needed to reform Al Qaeda. Yeah. And fix their messaging. They need to talk to right. McKinsey. Yeah, they need to be like, <laughs> So many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. Welcome to the worst of all possible worlds, the first and only podcast to be listened to by members of McKinsey and Al-Qaeda at the same time. <laughs> I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. I'm the worst of all possible AJ's. And I'm the worst of all possible Josh's. So joining us today, a friend of mine, former Hebrew school teacher, current copywriter, and general all-around great guy, Lev Novak. Hey, great to be here. Once again, we are getting into the weeds with it with Adventures in Odyssey. This is uh, Wit's Endless Summer, an ongoing sub-series of the worst of all possible worlds in which we discuss the strange... That's really selling it short. The batshit insane children's radio drama, Adventures in Odyssey, produced by Focus on the Family, the evangelical Christian organization. We are now in Springs of Witkening. Uh, yeah. of <laughs> summer. We can't stop him. We can't stop him. Brian and I grew up listening to this series, which is why it's such an object of fascination for us. And Lev, I'm going to take a wild fucking shot in the dark here, and I, I'm going to assume you had never heard of this no, before. Uh, I was blessedly unfamiliar. Yeah. Now, and now I'm, we have now cursed you. Deep. We've made your life worse. Uh, that's what we're here for worst at the worst of all, of all possible, possible worlds. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So the first episode that we are recapping today is a two-parter. Uh, It's called The Star, and it is about the famous star that shone over Bethlehem that led the Magi there. Uh, And if you have not ever heard the story of the Magi as outlined in the Gospel of Matthew. And only the Gospel of Matthew. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, thankfully, Adventure Sonodicy is here to 
help you do it. So first thing that kind of got my attention was really the NPRification of Christianity. Mm. You have this Lake Wobegon <laughs> world mm-hmm. where everyone is a Christian and yet they're also not, which I found interesting. Mm-hmm. Apparently mm-hmm. this eight-year-old sounding girl is an independent teenager from California. <laughs> yeah. And this whiny robot man is also not Christian, despite right. spending his time meeting the actual Jesus Christ. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Which I feel is a bit of a choice for him at this point. So, right. so, so Lev, in terms of like the imagination station. Yes. Yeah. Are you under the impression that it is a that he met the actual literal Jesus? Because it, mm-hmm. I think that's what it sounds like. It's not. It's like it's a computer program. It's just like a very advanced AI. But yes. with these episodes, it makes it really seem like they're just traveling back in time. <laughs> yeah, that's my understanding. Is they are canonically involved in the birth of Christ? Right. And they. Oh, I will tell you another initial reaction. The first thing I wrote down is they give. Thick Eastern European Jewish accents to some of the Jews, but not not all of them. Not anyone who's going to participate in the story of Christianity. That's right. That's right. They is used several times. (laughs) Yeah. This episode begins with Wit telling Connie and Eugene that he's going to show them a traditional Christmas story, but, you know, not the one people imagine. Yeah, you know. no, he's a little quirked up with it. Yeah, he's got some so, swag. <laughs> he, he, showed, he showed them the original Christmas story the year before in a trilogy called Back to Bethlehem. The story of the Magi as it goes is more about tradition than it is about scripture, which I think drives evangelicals crazy because evangelicals want to claim that all of Christianity is exactly what is in the Bible and nothing more. And, mm. and by the way, Lev, I'm curious, were you familiar mm. with the story of the Magi and that whole thing before you listened to this? Is that enough part of the popular imagination, the Three Kings, that whole shit? That's a great question. Um, I was familiar with contradictory pieces of it. Okay. I knew there were three fri- wise men, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But right. for example, okay. that's where my knowledge went. When okay, they were sure. like, it's time to go to Egypt and escape, that blew me away. I had no, <laughs> Google that. I had no idea. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was all about these guys gave baby Jesus some presents so long. I didn't realize there was like a follow-up for like teenage Jesus in the wilderness or what. That was news to me. Yeah. A lot of political intrigue. Yeah. The way that this particular episode is set up then is it's sort of intended to uh, illuminate those more quote unquote historical aspects of the narrative. Oftentimes, traditionally, we show the wise men at the nativity scene, right? People set up their little display. They have Mary, they have Joseph, they have an angel on the roof, they have a donkey, and then they have the three wise men with their three gifts. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Bible doesn't actually say how many wise men there are. Most Western traditions and a lot of Eastern traditions hold to about three. Because there are three um, gifts. There, there are some that have as many as 11 wise men. The other eight are like, you guys brought gifts. We agreed we were going to bring <laughs> gifts. <laughs> I prefer the idea that like one of them brought gold, one of them brought frankincense, and then nine of them brought myrrh. <laughs> <laughs> Just like had way too much, much fucking myrrh to handle. And so the wise men that we meet here are going to be named. Uh, this comes from more Western tradition. They have completely different names. If mm-hmm. you're looking in like the Ethiopian Coptic Church or the Syriac Church mm. or um, other Eastern churches, but none of this again is in the Bible. There is just some wise men show up and they bring gifts. We're not even sure exactly when. It seems to be just based on like where it is in the text. It's after Jesus was circumcised, but it could have been even a couple of years after it happened. 
Yeah, I forgot that we got Jesus's circumcision in there. Feels like a real win. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a huge, it's a huge dub. It's massive. Yeah. That was one of the first real uh, splits in the early Christian church was whether people needed to get circumcised. When oh, they don't I know it. Um, I, always pitch, uh, I always talk about how Jesus did a wonderful rebrand. He was like, you know what? No circumcision. Eat what you want. God is friendly and he's mm. my dad. I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm God junior, you know, right. let's, let's, let's do it. Yeah. Really also rich. there's a bird inside of me, uh, that no one really understands that we a won't really talk about. Too? Yeah. What, well, what the, Holy, the Holy spirit. That, I mean, that might just be ca- a Catholic. You invi- Wait, hold on. Hold you on. You heard a bird. I have Wait, never yeah, it's like heard. A dove. What? No, the dove descends from heaven. Yeah. Mm. That's the Holy spirit. It doesn't come from inside Jesus. No, but it's also inside of him because he's 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 the, the Trinity. He's all three ones. He's the Father, Hold the Son, on. and the no, Holy no, Ghost. No, 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 no. no. The Hold bird on. is just a symbol. No, no, but I mean, there's the, a literal the bird inside of him that is trying to escape. He has to feed it bird seed every day. He opens his mouth <laughs> and Martin <laughs> sprinkles in some bird seed for the bird to eat. I'm going to invade the Vatican. I'm going to occupy it. <laughs> Free me from my prison. So this episode, then, once we learn that Wit is gonna, you know, give him a new something about Christmas and. Really just mix it up a little bit. They hop into the Imagination Station. Now, again, the Imagination Station is basically the holodeck. It serves much the same purpose. Yeah. It allows the writers to create narratives where people explore and experience things that otherwise would not be possible, generally historical and or biblical events. Yeah, and, and specifically American historical yes, and biblical yes. events. Both Connie and Eugene hop into the Imagination Station. They push the red button. So we have found ourselves in the holiday season. And as we know, Wit has said... This is the start of the holiday season, not the arguing season. And the previous year, (laughs) Connie and Eugene had gone to Bethlehem. They met Mary and Joseph Mm. and the innkeeper, Benjamin, who we'll get to. And and Eugene adopted a Latinate name, Eugenius, which Mm. he then happily dons once more. I I agree. It was clever. Because Eugene, Eugene, as we uh, sort of have seen, is he's very much like the everything has a rational explanation. You know, he's Mr. Mechanistic. He Mm. he just he's data. Yeah, yeah, he is. Mm -hmm. That's much in the same way that the Imagination Station is the holodeck. Eugene is data. It's amazing how much wit just like abandons these people to just like. Yeah, he drops Connie in the middle of a busy street where she's about to get run over by a chariot. And he just throws Eugene into like fucking Saudi Arabia. Yeah, he's just in the desert. Um, (laughs) Who knows where? Connie meets a guy named Proclus. He's a Roman centurion. He is played by Kenneth Mars, who you may know from the producers where he played Franz Liebkin, the author of Springtime That's for Hitler. Crazy. He's also Inspector Kemp in Young Frankenstein. Um, he was King Triton in The Little Mermaid. Oh, oh yeah. that's okay. That was the one. That's Connie the one that clicked. is like, I gotta find baby Jesus. That's like her immediate thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, as you would. I got, yeah. Well, who else are you going to meet during the Jesus times? That's what I'm even, saying. Like, who else know? is in Bethlehem right now? <laughs> so Proclus is like, oh, you need to find an inn. Well, there's lots of inns, but maybe we could go to the north side of town and find some inns there and then you can find a baby. And it's like, okay, fucking whatever. Who cares? This is stupid. That's like Proclus's whole thing. Cause then in the next scene, when they get to the inn, he's like, so anyway, my wife and my daughter are both dead. I loved them so dearly. And we're like, okay, fine. Well, I, I'll admit, I thought that wit was Proclus until. You brought this mm. up. I thought because uh, okay, I know Wit has a dead wife and a dead son. Has yes, a that's lady. true. 
That's, so that's I thought he also had a dead Levy, daughter. you have committed too much of this to your memory. This is <laughs> well, I took yeah, notes. above I took and beyond. That's great. Oh, yeah. But the actor playing Wit instead shows up as Benjamin the innkeeper. Yes. That's much more offensive to me. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Who's that? I recognize that voice. Whoever you are, before you can keep your animals in my stable, you have to register at the inn. It's Benjamin. What? Who? It's me, Connie. You? Oh, no, no, not you again. When that zealot mule finally left, I thought he took you with him. So, Lev. <laughs> yes. You said you had notes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have notes on the thick Eastern European accent. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And the fact that, that this is wit. The, yeah, give me give me some of that oi, that sweet oi. Oh, he he really puts wow. his back into it. He does. There's, there, there's there's he's got the vocal tremble and everything. Oh, oh my god. He does a whole scale. I did not listen to these episodes before sending them along. Uh-huh. And I felt like I committed a minor hate crime by sending this to you. And I want to apologize for that just straight up because I listened to this and I was like this is yeah, I did not remember so this much at worse all, at all. than I remember it being. There's something yeah. deeply unsettling about hearing Wit say shalom. The gusto with which he goes for it is part of the problem. <laughs> yeah. He's not playing it safe with his choices. He's going all in. And you can just imagine he's surrounded by a whole tech team that's just like, yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, more of that. Can, 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 we we get up, more? can you up the Judaism in here? Let yeah. me taste the gefilte fish. <laughs> they don't, but here's the thing, right? They don't even fucking know what gefilte fish is. Like genuinely, that that's- no, that, that's, that's too specific that's for them. That's part yeah. of where this comes from, too, is that is how clearly their perspective is that Christianity is like just an upgraded form of Judaism as opposed to a completely different tradition. Yeah. So, mm. like, if we mm. take what we consider to be Judaism as as evangelicals or whatever from the perspective of the writers and we, you know, slap a little bit of ethnic flair on it, that's fine. Mm. That's cute. Right. And. Boy. Yeah, well, it's interesting, too, because I actually took an opposite approach from that, which is I took them as saying that there was no dissension of Judaism with Mary and Joseph. Oh, sure. I mean, that they brought this Mm -hmm. they brought their kid to a rabbi and the rabbi was presented as so culturally distinct from them. The Jewish innkeeper was so culturally distinct from them. And who, of course, is presented as their positive way in the Roman centurion the yeah. Fucking yeah. soldier. Yeah. yeah. There was a real choice was made there about who do you cast your lot in as familiar on Eugene's side of the adventure. He meets another man with an inscrutable accent named Gaspar. Eugene stranded in the desert without water. So, you know, naturally going on with this man and his camel makes sense so that he doesn't fucking die of thirst in the desert. Because by yeah. the way, as we'll discover later on, when you die in the imagination station, you die in real life. (laughs) There is a safety override, but much like the safety override on the holodeck, it Mm. is not the most reliable thing in the world. This machine almost killed a child uh, earlier on, actually. Oh, that's right. It was rigged to explode. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Rigged to explode? Yeah, this is all real, by the way. Over the internet, yeah. Like the 1989 (laughs) internet. Anyway, (laughs) so Eugene meets the three men there in the desert that evening. Gaspar, Balthazar, and Melchior. You mustn't pay any attention to Melchior. It is our belief that he was born with a sour disposition. At least he's had one since we started this journey. And when was that? Oh, months ago. Sometimes it seems like we've been on it all our lives. Melchior is our guide and goad. He started this expedition 
Gaspar is our protector and This defender. is so boring. <laughs> Everyone says I'm the man who talks too much. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. what child is listening to that and knows what the fuck a goad is? Like, I don't know. Oh, what I goat. thought he said goat. What's a goat? Yeah, I, I don't know what a goat is. He's a, our guide and our goat. A goat is a kind of prod. He's goaded. He's goaded. He's, with, he's goaded with a sauce. Yeah. 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 Wasn't it Shamgar who killed six hundred Philistines with an ox goad? Which judge was that? I don't fucking. You, you think I know about the judges? How much Bible do you think I've read? I don't know. I read the Bible. Hey, I've only read one book of the Bible, and that's uh-huh. the book of Ruth, because I am a true yeah Ru- Ruth Ruth head. Ruth I think I think Ruth is a scroll, but you know. No, do you? Mm, you know, yeah. fuck. There's a debate in the in the Ruth community. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna stand here for for the uh, for the Book of Judges. Okay. I think I think we shouldn't be sleeping on the Book of Judges okay. as much as we do. Fine. Especially it's... because it has the only canonically left-handed character in the Bible. So Judges is Loki goaded with the sauce. I get it. Yeah. Um. um so yeah, moving so that's on. Our guide and goad. Those <laughs> are those are the three wise men, and those are the those are the three names: Balthasar, right. Gaspar, and Melchior. That again do not occur within the scripture, but do occur. Uh, they first showed up in. A, a Greek text translated into Latin. All we have is the Latin translation, and it's from about 500 CE. Okay. Gotcha. And that's where those names come from. The, the so, thing that I'm most curious about in terms of, like, just the three wise men following this star on their way mm-hmm. uh, to Jerusalem, in this case, and then later to Bethlehem, uh, is just that this when Eugene looks up at this, like he's on, he's very knowledgeable of the sky, you know, of the of the star right. map. He's and a everything. 20th century man of science. Sure. Yeah, and and he sees a star that he's never seen before, and that's the star that's guiding him there. Which means that God has created a sun somewhere in the universe that was not previously there, which either created a galaxy that exists only for the time that they're traveling, or destroyed a previous one that was already there just to get three guys to make it to one city. Well, also that he would have also done it hundreds of millions of years ago so that the uh, actual thing would show up at that time because of how slowly light travels. um, It was probably a comet. Yeah, there we go. Hmm. I mean, not to, not to, not to not to shit on your bit, but like it's probably just a comet. Could God create a comet so fast that even he could not catch it? Mm. No. Who would win in a race, <laughs> the Flash or God? <laughs> Golden Age Flash or? Yeah. I, I like the idea of like some sort of like Bethlehem Heaven's Gate. Speaking of aliens, did you ever hear mm. about the lost text? where Judas is apparently goes on this crazy monologue about how Jesus told him he has to return to his star and his world in the sky. There is, there is some rumored forbidden text in the Vatican or something about how Judas basically is like, guys, I can explain Jesus told me, but like his description of heaven is much more alieny. It's like a world in the sky past the stars that we know there is a planet where people live. And that is where Jesus is from. And and that's where he went back to. So the Vatican knows too much. So they put this doc in cold storage. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Or they were like, we're collecting all the fan fiction. This is like Mr. Boop. We can't let it out. Right, 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 right. (laughs) We we own the proprietary rights on the Jesus character. This is the Jesus Mr. Boop. (laughs) The wise men are like, oh, so this is heralding the arrival of a king, right? We are we are a king's retinue of magi bringing gifts to the birth of a new king. So it's in Jerusalem. That's where the king is. Right. The magi. And Eugene is like, hold on. Yeah. It's in Bethlehem because I saw it. Right, because, you know, the Magi demur about Jesus being in Bethlehem. Oh, God. They think he would make more frankincense. Come on. For him to be in Jerusalem. Yeah. 
and these and, jokes, and gold. Solid twenty-four karat gold, baby. So, and this, by the way, does align with the narrative in in the biblical book of Matthew. It says that the Magi first went to Jerusalem because, yep. in, in that narrative, it was like, well, we got to go to Judea. Jerusalem's the capital, so let's go there and see what's up. And this is pretty much what ends up happening here as well, is that, you know, they try to navigate uh, using the stars. They go to Jerusalem, even despite Eugene's protests to the contrary. Back on Connie's side of things, I don't know, some bullshit is happening, like some yeah, plot. Yeah, she and Proclus have gone to Jerusalem because they found out that Mary and Joseph are going to the temple. Connie meets King Herod in Jerusalem. And That's right. Herod. Oh, this is Connie. Connie, what an unusual name. Thank you. Tell me, my dear. We're all twirling our mustaches right no. now. Betrothed. Or promised to someone. Is a pervert? No. Oh, I see. It's just your you must be the captain's servant. It's Jafar from no, Aladdin. No, I'm oh. not his servant. Now, how much do you want for her, Proclus? Name your price. She's a free woman, sir. And even so, don't you think this sort of business should be conducted in a more suitable place? Uh. <laughs> They didn't tell me you were a stick in the mud, Proclus. Um, I forget the name of the actor who plays Herod. He's a like longtime like anime voice actor. He just basically nice. does this all the time. And it's very um, it's an anime voice too. I yes, love that. It, it absolutely is. Uh, so Wit has programmed this so that Eugene nearly dies of dehydration, and then Connie gets sexually harassed by the king <laughs> of Judea. And almost sold into sex slavery. Yes. It's incredible. Proclus mm-hmm. is like not here. <laughs> Come on, guys. Um, so let, let's take a moment here then to talk about like the character and the actual person of King Herod. One thing yeah. I liked is the dispute over whether or not he had a bunch of children killed. Right. Um, yes. Really scared about Jesus being born. And what I also like about this adventure in Odyssey is they make the point that like he's very dismissive about baby Jesus being born. And then he gets really worried about it. The Herod that may or may not have had all of these children killed is not the same Herod that would later end up coming back around when Jesus died. That was right. Herod's oh, wow. I never knew that. He passed shortly thereafter. So this guy is Herod the Great, and he was basically a, a vassal ruler for Rome. Yeah, so he wrested power from the Hasmonean kings, mm. who were the ones who were kind of comfortably in power during more sort like of the, the... More like the, the Hasbean kings. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Am I right? And, and, and who, right who didn't rule like a unified landmass. They were a bunch of a bunch of kings working under the, the previous occupation, and Herod very quickly was able to sort of wrest Judea away from them. And he had a very, very comfortable relationship with Rome even before he ascended the throne. Um, he was ruthless. I mean, he killed his wife. He killed two of his sons. Uh, when the news of that came back to Caesar Augustus, he said, well, it must be safer to be Herod's pig than his child. You know, to quote the great Norm MacDonald, this guy was a real jerk. Yeah, he, he was a bad dude. But yes, th- this whole question, and they, they don't really go into it in this episode either, the the ordering the death of all the children aged two and under in and yeah. around Bethlehem. Right. And a lot of Eastern traditions will say like, 14,000 were killed or 144,000 were killed, right? These sort of important numerical mm. values in biblical mm. history. I think the Catholic Church holds that it's like 30. <laughs> 30? <laughs> Three zero kids? Like, yeah, like a small handful okay. of, of toddlers. That's kind of chill, um, I guess. I don't know. That's called a Catholic dozen, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this idea that Herod killed a bunch of children, of course, is a direct parallel to Moses. Oh, I thought you were going to say Star Wars. 
Uh, the film I mean, Warcraft, actually. The film Warcraft. Yeah. Oh. Right. So, and we're going to see more of these parallels as we get into the, the second half of this. But the, like, there, there's a very clear angle that they're going for right. in in showing. You know, it's a repeat of history, and Matthew specifically is always citing the books of prophecy to say this is fulfilling this prophecy here from Jeremiah, from sure. Micah, from. Hosea or whatever. Yeah, we get into that a little bit in the second part of this episode. Um, Lev, how much of this, like, uh, did you recognize any of the prophecies that they were talking about? You know, it's interesting. Um, Definitely uh, the stuff that they said, I was like, well, I can see how you could make a stretch to try to rope that in. Interesting. All those stretches are sort of preoccupied with the idea that, see, they're the descendants of David and the prophecy comes from the house of David. I'm like, are they from the house of David? Why do we know this? You know? So right off the back, I was like, all right, uh, it's a little bit weak. So Simeon has appeared at the temple and he is, is, Spouting off prophecy. Oh, right? this, that, is the the, rabbi, this is the rabbi. This is the rabbi guy. The right? chosen king has come right. to Jerusalem, and he will arrive at the temple on this day. Uh, this is also from the Gospels. There is an old man named Simeon. This might actually be from Luke, uh, not Matthew. So Simeon is regarded as not really anyone in particular. He was an old man who lived righteously, and God gave him a vision that the Messiah has come. And so he apparently meets Mary and Joseph and offers them uh, his blessing. In this, he's he's worked more into the plot where he also gives them the warning to leave. Mm. Um, Simeon's prophecy also includes a reference to the fact that Jesus will have to die and probably do so while Mary is still living. It's it's really setting the stage there. And uh, Herod overhears some of this and he gets really confused and and and, and bewildered. I'm telling and, you, I don't know what you are talking about. There is no newborn king here. My youngest son is 16 years old. But we have read in our prophecies. The truth shall be made known in the house of the lion, the house of Judah. Judah! We have seen his star in the east and followed it here. We have come to worship him. Do not hold him back from us, I beg you. Star? Prophecies? Well, my chief priest, don't just sit there. What do you know of this? I know nothing of their pagan <laughs> But you know of our text, don't you? Uh, no, 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 Where no, no, do no. the scriptures say this Christ will be born? In Bethlehem in Judea. It is written in the book of the prophet Micah. <sighs> so this episode ends then with Herod grabbing the baby Jesus and holding yep. him close to his chest. And there's been a he, lot he of... He literally like, makes the baby Jesus cry. Yeah, Yeah. there's been like a lot of buildup of momentum as much as the show can sort of muster to this point. Like it's this big like boiling point. You're like, oh, God, it's a cliffhanger. What's going to happen to the baby Jesus? Which is also an insane question to ask because we know (laughs) what's going to happen to the baby Jesus. He's going to be fine uh, for now. Uh, But the next episode, we we, like go straight into the next episode and Herod just kind of gives the baby back. Yeah, yeah, and, and, cool. and Mary and Joseph escape, and they go back. To yeah, there's this to, really uh, dumb, like fake dramatic thing where it's like, "Let me hold the baby. I see the baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just a baby. I'm gonna give the baby back now." And yeah. it's like, "Why? Why did you do this?" You know, he passed the vibe check. He did. It was yeah. 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 <laughs> ba- it was strictly a vibe check. It really was. He was like, <laughs> I "Need to check this baby's vibes." <laughs> Definitely, I was wondering uh, how any Christian child could be expected to listen to this. Uh, was there? Uh, any sort of uh, a Jewish equivalent to like Odyssey where there was, was there like kids stuff programming specifically for kids? I'm glad you asked. They're not really. 
Uh, thank goodness. There would, there would be <laughs> written stuff, you know, like little comics occasionally. Oh, yeah. Judaism, you don't really do self insertion that much into the story. Sure. And you also don't learn less. Well, I'm sorry. What you would do is it would be Rugrats Passover. And I say that unironically. Right, right. Hell yeah. Where Angelica would be the Pharaoh and Tommy Pickles would say, let my babies go. And that's what you would give to the kids. You know what I mean? So I'm curious to hear, Lev, you know, you said, I can't I can't imagine any child, any Christian child. We loved it is the point. Yeah. So so that's we the couldn't thing. get we enough did. of this shit. Wow. And so that's why I think it's interesting is like I found it as a kid, not just listenable, but compulsively so. And so I'm wondering yeah. why it is that you say, like, dear God, how could anybody listen to this? What specifically makes you feel that way? That's a great question. I found it to be really annoying. Mm. I thought that the <laughs> character I, I found everyone to sound like they were a weird mix of eight years old and 50 yeah, <laughs> in their voices and their acting, mm-hmm. like their values I found to be yeah. inscrutable. They were both boring and slow. Uh, they, you know, it wasn't, Eugene was my favorite of them, but Eugene yeah. was always set up yeah. to fail. I was like, right. no, let Eugene yeah. vibe. Learn about astronomy. Well, I think I think part of that, too, is that they don't want to leave room for any real ambiguity, whether that's mm-hmm. character based ambiguity, plot based ambiguity or anything like that. There's not a lot of that gray area. There's very much just black and white. And you can either be on the good side or the bad side. And we see this in these characterizations. I think, too, there's always like you're grading on a curve when you're talking about Christian entertainment. Mm. And here's this stuff that's actually very well produced. Yes. Um, right. You know, the style of it, the the sounds that you get, especially at this point, early episodes, not so much, but um, we're far enough along. And the, the show does continue to get better from here uh, for a while, at least. It's just it's not like the videotapes that you're going to get, including the videotapes of Adventures in Odyssey that when they made the animated series mm. where it's a lot lower. That's right. Love, there's like, an animated or, series. We're watching oh, fucking whoa. like Bible Man where they got the kid from eight is enough and gave him a lightsaber and it was made for like $15. This was like, Oh cool. This is like wholesome family shit that like I'm allowed to have. And it's, it's, it's moderately well done. Yeah. This show is so popular, Lev. Okay. So this episode's from 1992, which Uh means that it, it had been running for about five years at this point. Okay. When do you think it ended? 98, 99. Wrong. It is still running. They are making new episodes as we speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your face in right 2022. now. What? There's there's only one original cast member who is still alive. <laughs> um, I want to I want to I want to get one from 2022. I oh, they're this. bad. Oh, you sure don't. So yeah. Oh. We can have you back on because <laughs> yeah. I've I've yeah. only listened to a handful from the last bring, decade. Bring me and, a snap to woof. the future. I want to hear about when they're talking about. Their iPhones. Let's do it. Absolutely. Honey, you can't post that. (laughs) (laughs) That's cap. (laughs) Well, it it, it actually has sort of followed, from what I understand from what Brian's told me, it has followed sort of the trajectory of The Simpsons in that there was like sort of these golden years, this golden era of it. Which we are not in yet. Which, yeah, we are. Mm -hmm. Apparently it's it's still coming. But now it's more of a zombie version of itself. Um, What was the most recent plot that you... That you listened to, Brian, about the most recent one that I listened to was I think 2017, and they did a 14 part series 
about uh, the homosexual agenda. <laughs> Just like the Simpsons. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the Simpsons. Focus on the family did for a while say that like wit would not be MAGA. Like they came out and said he would not support, you know. Uh, yeah, they said that in 2017. Explicitly yeah. on their blog. But it seems more and more as the show has gone on, he's just completely turned MAGA. Well, um, it's it's that their image of being MAGA is purely an aesthetic one. Right. Right. Wit is a reactionary conservative focus on the family is tightly aligned with the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. And being MAGA just means standing out there with the banner and saying, grab him by the pussy. Right. Right. But like Wit's goals are were constantly being met by Donald J. Trump and, and much and much absolutely would have him back and much like evangelicals yeah. during the mm-hmm. Trump presidency, the MAGA project and the evangelical project have grown more and more explicitly aligned with each other, both tactically and personnel, much like how Herod's project mm-hmm. grew alongside the Roman influence. That's a wonderful segue into part yeah. two. Uh, <laughs> so at this point, Connie, Mary, Joseph and the baby have all <laughs> departed for Bethlehem. Uh, Eugene's on his way to Jerusalem with the Magi because Eugene is on the spectrum. He decides to go and look at architecture and talk (laughs) a lot, a lot, a lot about it. Um, And also the rabbi from before the what Simeon, right? That guy. Simeon, Yeah. Who I mean, he's being called rabbi, but I think that's more of a term of respect here. There's some traditions that hold that he may have been part of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin. Look at that. Yes. But uh, he he wasn't. Yeah, he that's, a, that's like, bigger than being or even a regular rabbi. That's a real jump up in the ladder right. there. He, yeah. he was just some old guy who who had a nice moment yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> before he and like it's, it's pretty Simeon. strongly implied that like God had promised him that he would see the Messiah before he died. So then he sees the Messiah and then probably just croaks like outside the temple goes back home. And I do hope that one day I can be an old man who has his moment. We'll see. But yeah, with any get sucked off. Oh, hell yeah. So yeah. um, by the, by the Messiah. Jesus? <laughs> no, an adult Messiah. Okay. Jesus Christ. Come, Come on. on. So the, Simeon overhears <laughs> the Magi talking about that they're searching for this king. And again, this does align with sort of what happens in the Bible where they went to Jerusalem because, again, yeah. capital of Judea, the king ends up hearing about these Magi and the Magi meet Herod. They ask him where this child is because they've heard that a new king has yep. been born. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Again, we have that prophecy and everything. Herod's priest knows that there's going to be a baby. Uh, and so Herod isn't going to take a chance. Now he is going to A, send the Magi off to search for the baby and B, kill all of the children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he holds on to Eugene as collateral. You can't do uh, an Imagination Station episode and not have them end up in a dungeon at yeah, some point. So here we go. I told the three travelers, I only want to know about him so that I too may go and worship him. Worship at the point of a sword? I'll tell you nothing. Really? <laughs> I think you will. Perhaps a night in the dungeon will so, yeah, once again, AJ, as you said, Wit has thrown a non-believer <laughs> into a dungeon overnight. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You Like, they explicitly say, and, and Simeon, for some reason, gets thrown in as well. But Eugene has to sleep there. Of course. Yeah. He's there the entire night. So, it's one of those things that it's just like, Connie and Eugene, they keep coming back for these adventures. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Connie just gets to... 
Connie just gets to babysit Jesus. That's I mean, true. that's pretty cool. And and Eugene just really likes the architecture. I right. think. Maybe Eugene really loves dungeons. <laughs> it seems. Um, so if you die in this, you die in real life. Yes, yes probably. That is correct. Yeah. So this seems very risky. <laughs> I, thought you would, I thought you would just like wake up out of it or whatever. This is ridiculous. When you push the red button, they actually attach you um, uh, to a feeding tube. Well, but the impression of the imagination station, though, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in the next two parter, but um, is that it is actually it's not just VR. It's pulling things out of your brain, out of your imagination, projecting them in front of Whoa. you. right? Like it's filling in the blanks sort of through like, I don't know, deep learning. So this imagination station would be self-populating, self-creating. Yeah. Uh, metaverse AI. So yes. right. that is basically giving people the ability to, to build through it. So the idea of this also furthermore has that Connie and Eugene have to go in this with the purest intentions. Yes. Because otherwise very Ghostbuster style, you can't have to duck some women in train conductor hats walking around for Eugene. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. This can very quickly turn into the shore leave planet from from Star Trek, the original yeah. series. Yeah. Where either yeah. you just start banging green women or that Irish kid from your college classes starts kicking you in the nuts over and over again. <laughs> Whichever you're into. Your biggest dreams. So I would also just like to reiterate that Wit has designed and built this imagination station by himself. This yeah. guy from the greatest generation has made a metaverse. Well, well, we say by himself, but as we've learned in previous episodes, he does have direct connections to the United States government, central right. intelligence. He's worked for the NSA and I believe also the CIA. And additionally, his uh, published, by the way, Lev, this is all real. This is not oh, wow. a joke. None of this yeah, is a yeah, joke. Yeah. His um, encyclopedia publishing company serves as a supplier and front for the Department of Defense. So... He's very well connected, and it is entirely possible that this is actually DARPA tech that he has repurposed. Yeah, DARPA tech. that makes more sense. How does an encyclopedia store help the Department of Defense? See, but an encyclopedia has to have researchers and people who travel all over the world to gather information. Does it? And also topple their governments. Well, it does in, it does in the early 90s. Yeah. <laughs> You have I, guess, to again. I, I guess my encyclopedia would have just all the words I knew. I wouldn't really work much harder than that. Well, and that's, <laughs> that's why you're not John Avery Whitaker. That's the, that's I, the key I, Lev's encyclopedia. Will, There's some words. Yeah. I will happily buy the Lev Novak encyclopedia. Yeah, 100%. There so, we go. Uh, it sounds like a larf. Just to pull it back then to this adventure, um, you know, after after they get seized... I made a note here. I was like, this is really quite languid. Like, this doesn't need to be a two-parter. So yeah, much just, like, unnecessary all plot happens. All, yeah. all of these, like, again, back to Bethlehem being a three-parter. It's right. like they cannot do the Bible story without it being a two-parter. Right. Um. So, at this point, Simeon tells Eugene that he has met Connie. Uh, Proclus comes in and releases both of them. And this is a really interesting moment here that I would love for us to all talk about. That mm. the rabbi... Uh, well, I guess rabbi, not rabbi, yeah. Simeon, Simeon says, well, he looks into his eyes really deeply and is like, I trust your eyes. You have very trustworthy eyes. And he just implicitly trusts this Roman. It's the fucking Chronicles of Narnia. That's yeah. what it is, right? It's the, oh, you went to Narnia and you saw Aslan. It changes the way that your eyes work. Fine. But like, these guys are just jerking themselves off over Clive Staples Lewis every goddamn day. Which no, is that's fine. That's what Wit's doing in the imagination we, station when no one's we, around. We have to oh. think about this in the actual context of what is oh, being Connie. talked about here. Mm. The, 
<laughs> the actual geopolitical context of this, though, you yeah. know, the fact that Judea was under Roman occupation with a puppet king yep. in place. Yeah. I mean, this is this is honestly kind of fucked. I was a bit upset by this. Some guy comes to me in the prison. It's like, I'm going to let you out. I'm going to tell him whatever he wants to hear. Yeah, I guess <laughs> you're not wrong. Oh, interesting. So cool. Good on you. Let's open that gate, buddy. Yeah. But it's not it's not as if like in this moment it's being portrayed in that way. You know no. what I mean? Like it would be funny if it was, but it's not. It's played totally straight. Yeah, well it's because he saw Jesus and he became a Christian. Right. Like that's he just did. But not Which somehow Eugene can't do because of the autism or something, but like Right. Eugene yeah. is too autistic to become Christian, that is correct. Yeah. Uh we then get to see Connie uh get uh free base Jesus. Yes. Uh, in her arms uh, because Mary's like you look at my baby weird you should just hold my baby yeah, and Connie's like I'm unworthy to hold this AI construction of the <laughs> savior of the world like it's it's really it's really kind of weird and like th- this fetishization of a, a baby of just like a weird baby who at one point Mary says you know he seems uh, bothered by something it's like, well, he's a baby. Like, everything's They're a bothered jump scare. by everything. They're babies. Yeah. Maybe there's some sand. Right. <laughs> Is it possible sand? there's some sand? In yeah. Jerusalem? <laughs> That's, that also has a long history, right? Like, the, the veneration of Christ as a child, specifically. That's a very um, that, Catholic thing, actually. It, it shows up it sure in is. in the story of St. Christopher, who used to be a Catholic saint and still is an Orthodox saint. It, well, he carried the very heavy Christ child and may have had the head of a dog. The baby was really heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if that was because he still had the sins of the world on him or like one that <laughs> was. No, he was or... dummy thick. He was a dummy thick baby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but a lot of the earliest Christian texts that were not canonized at the Council of Nicaea by St. Nicholas and others. Like, for instance, the Gospel of James, which we still have, which also depicts right. um, John the Baptist's parents, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, escaping Bethlehem during the time that all of the, the children are being killed. And John the Baptist's story is himself, right? He was born to parents that were elderly. They were way too old to conceive a child, and they conceive a child, much right. like... Abraham and right. Isaac and yeah. Sarah, you know, it's another story that that is parallel to what is happening in the Old Testament. Um, we get a lot of Christ child gospels that also talk about Jesus and his time in Egypt, like the time that he tames a cave full of dragons. Yeah, that's right. Or where yeah. Mary gets hungry and Jesus gets a palm tree to kneel down so that she can pick fruit from it. Um, none of this, again, none of this gets canonized, but it is a very important part of early Christian tradition. And it's worth talking about this, too, is because the American tradition around Christmas comes from the British one with some adoption of German and Dutch and all of those other things that have built the early firmament of this nation. Santa Claus comes on the 25th of December and brings you your presents right on Christmas Day. Uh, right. Whereas the Germans have Santa Claus coming in a little bit earlier in December. You know, the, the, the English say Father Christmas, which doesn't necessarily mean Santa Claus. Sometimes it's St. Nicholas in uh, the Hispanic tradition, right? Starting in the Iberian Peninsula, it is the three kings who bring the presents okay. to oh. the children. Oh. And which is why you see that all throughout Latin America and even the Philippines. Whereas in the Czech Republic and I think also Poland, the Christ child actually brings your presents. The oh, baby God. Jesus right. goes yeah. from house to house on Christmas Day. And I think it's the, the Czech Air Force that made a video where they're like flying 
and they shoot down Santa Claus because he's getting in the way of the Christ child delivering wow. presents. That's awesome. That would have made um, an amazing yes. Santa Claus 4 for Tim Allen. <laughs> um, setting all of these various, you know, sort of like traditions and myths and so forth about Christmas aside, this moment here with Connie holding baby Jesus sort of anchors what is then the end of this episode. I'm curious to hear, Lev, your thoughts on, obviously, like, this is supposed to be a very dramatic and beautiful and powerful moment. And I'm curious to hear, like, if you felt like it landed dramatically or if it was just kind of weird. It was kind of weird. Okay. <laughs> um, there's, there's no way, there's no other real way to frame it. Yeah. Other than sort of, feel like it's off-putting to me uh, as a Jewish yeah, person. Sure. You know, I don't deal with, I mean, listen, it's very interesting from like a writer perspective. I mean, the Jesus origin story is the ultimate. It's the classic. It's the right. Star Wars, what have you. Right. But yeah. A yeah. straight up baby like that. I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Least, it's creepy, you know, adult Jesus. I understand much more as a concept. Baby right. Cause it's a guy. Yeah. yeah. It's a guy, a guy who can talk for example. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. turn water into wine and do all sorts of other crazy shit. But like, it's literally just a baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When I look at this baby, I'm filled with joy. I think is what Connie says. And it's yeah, like, well, that's, that's yeah, it's a baby. Babies are raw. Yeah. Yeah, babies rule. You get, you get endorphin rush to your head. Your brain uh, like releases all those those chemicals. Of course, you're gonna love a baby when you see well, it. It's a yeah, baby. I, mean, I, I, I was, um, I, I just last week I saw my niece again, who's a baby, and um, I, yeah, I felt all of these same experiences too because it's a, it, like, yeah, it's new life. It's a baby. It's cool. There doesn't have to be anything bigger or better than that. And there's something yeah. so strange. I agree with you, Lev, about the way that this scene is handled. Like it's supposed to hit hard. Because obviously everybody listening to the scene is already going to be a Christian, but like yeah. they could have made it a lot more powerful by just writing it as it's a baby. Like it's cool that it's a baby. Not necessarily it's cool that it's Jesus. Right. Uh, I mean, I guess it's cool that it's Jesus if you're a Christian, but, they, but like they needed because they're evangelical, they need the conversion. Right. They need the story of someone, in right. this case, Proclus specifically, yes. yeah. uh redeeming himself. Because of the sheer power of coming into contact with the son of the living God. And that's what ends up happening next is that Eugene shows up to the scene with Simeon because Proclus has let them free, but I guess has also been tailing them this entire time. Yeah. Um, it is then time for the family to flee to Egypt. Yep. Again, this is in the biblical record that like mm -hmm. in order to get away from Herod killing all the babies, they went to Egypt for a few years. Uh, the Magi give the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which are all useful items for a journey. This is what I remembered from this two-parter growing up. Like this oh, is okay. what I. This is the scene that that I guess spoke to me then. Please sure. forgive our rudeness. In our joy at seeing the child, we neglected to remember that we have brought gifts for him. Oh, please honor us by accepting them. A crown of gold for the newborn king. That should see you safely on your journey frankincense and other fine spices used by the priest in the temples of my people. They should fetch a good price at the market. My gift is far less ornate and much more practical, I'm afraid. A pot containing a healing ointment of myrrh for the scratches and bruises that will afflict our young king as he grows. And it's interesting that the implication in this scene is that they're going to sell those things to get to Egypt mm -hmm. yeah. aside from the myrrh because the myrrh is not necessarily all that valuable according to this. I think what's most interesting about these three wise men is that they don't ever 
come back in a way that most other things in the Jesus story sort of rhyme. You know, like they're mm. we they, they they don't like appear like when Jesus is proselytizing or like you're you know. right, yeah, and yeah, you and, don't have three guys or or whatever who show up at Golgotha and, to see him get crucified or something. And this is like why that. a lot of early Christian narratives actually have them being found by missionaries after the Great Commission uh, when Jesus ascends and tells his disciples to go. Oh, where interesting. Then the the wise men in their respective kingdoms and they're probably in the Parthian Empire, which includes everything from like Armenia and Babylon to parts of Afghanistan and India. They then have their own martyrdom stories in early Christian Whoa. Uh, oh, literature. So that's where it, that's where it, it comes back, because, yeah, people saw this same discrepancy and had to solve it in hmm. some way. Immediately after this, we learn about the fate of Proclus. Like he sees right. the baby Jesus and it's just like, yep. you're going to save us all, little one. Uh in in a very sort of Star Wars way, Lev, you had brought up Star Wars before. Like it, that feels like the most overtly Star Wars. Yeah, we we learn that Proclus will die for yep. what he's done for releasing yep. Eugene out into the world and Simeon out into the world, um, and for helping them escape. And what's interesting to me about Proclus as a character is that they, you're right, Brian. They do want somebody for the conversion tale like evangelicals need yeah. that conversion thing but every single person that converts to christianity already has doubts in their head that their system is flawed in some way proclus says just because i'm a roman general doesn't mean that i agree with everything the roman empire does there's already that seed of doubt there mm-hmm. because they cannot fathom a world where someone yeah. would believe wholeheartedly in something that they do not believe in and it makes mm, these stories mm. so easy. Of course he converts. He already has so many right. doubts because the truth right. is out there. It's just within reach. And and the only people who believe differently are lecherous, like driven by id. Yeah, they're the fucking like, King violent. Herod. They're out here yeah. sex traffic Connie. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in a situation here. Uh, in the story where a guy has doubts and wants to convert. First of all, again, yeah. the diversity of thought afforded to the Roman Empire, much broader than the Roman <laughs> yeah. Empire, uh, Jews in general. Yeah. So that's its stance. But uh, as far as that conversion stuff goes, it makes a lot of sense. If you watch The Matrix or you watch any storytelling thing, there's yeah. always the idea that there's one truth and it's biting at the edges of everything. And you're going to find it if you look for it. So that doesn't bother me that this guy already has doubts that Christianity brings in those people uh, and it answers their questions makes a lot of sense to me holistically as a belief system. What I find more interesting is that Proclus is straight up going to die for this. That to me lacks a certain amount of Yiddish, which means sort of Jewish uh, subway fare vis-a-vis these things. I'm like, (laughs) does Proclus not want to go with them? Can Proclus not make it look like they broke out? Sure. Mm. Yeah. In this particular strain of evangelical Christianity, there is a persecution complex and there Mm. always has been. Yeah. The Christian has to be persecuted. Yeah. If you look at really any more contemporary kind of hyper evangelical thing, it's this idea that if you truly believe it's going to mean that it's going to be hard for you. And the way that it's going to be hard for you is that there are going to be people who are going to persecute you. It says as much in the Bible. Um, And the way that this is interpreted by modern American reactionary Christians Mm -hmm. is that it is at the hands of inevitably the government. And so in this case, Rome is actually a stand in for America. And they make this fairly explicit earlier on as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, 
in fact, there was uh, there's a point, there's yeah. a conversation that uh, Proclus has with Connie where he's like, well, just because I'm Roman doesn't you know mean that I subscribe to everything right. that the world. And, and again, we have to think about the fact that this is now right before uh, Clinton is about to be inaugurated as president. Mm, this oh, means right. this means that uh, the government of the United States is about to become godless again in the eyes of these people. Yep. And so, yeah, you will be effectively marked for death as a result of this because you are standing up for what you believe in. For death? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, you don't remember? That's 19 1996 yeah. when Bill Clinton killed all the Baptists? <laughs> that was a fluke. Okay. <laughs> One time. He thought he was activating the imagination station by hitting the big red button, exactly. but it was in fact it was the kill the, the Baptist, Baptist protocol. <laughs> no, but like, but that really is, and, and you can see parallels to this as well in like the God's Not Dead movies. It's this idea Absolutely, that yeah. no matter what you do, if you are a true Christian, the agents of Satan are going to come for you. Those are going to be in the form of the government and uh, school the, teachers and school teachers. And to be honest, it's often heavily coded as being atheistic and or Jewish because evangelicals have this idea that's essentially just the Khazar theory in all but like the explicit terms, right? Mm -hmm. Where there's like an idea that there's real Jews and fake Jews. And for Christians, the real Jews are like question mark the orthodox maybe, but they don't talk to them. So it's like it doesn't. But like Jerry Falwell kind of put out this idea of like the two covenants of God and uh -huh. those who keep the old covenant, even though there's no one burning sheep these days, uh, those who keep the old covenant will still also find salvation after oh, death, that's which nice. they don't even believe in. And <laughs> it is nice, isn't it? Isn't it and nice so that then, the one true God allowed for yeah. that? Yeah. And so then of course there are people who are bad who are part of the atheistic godless society right. who just happen to be uh, very Jewish, but not in the real way, you right. know, right. that's a huge part of the persecution yeah. complex. This idea that even though they are acting with the government all the time, they are still somehow standing athwart yeah. the government <laughs> to even put like this colonially appointed general as like the 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 hashtag resistance. Well, and, and, and I mean, even Rome. I think even in the biblical narrative, it speaks to this as well, right? Because Herod was a his family, I guess, converted to Judaism, and so he he was himself Jewish. It just adds to this whole like it, it's the narrative yeah. that exists in a lot of Christianity, going all the way back to the Gospels. Just to wrap up the little story ends here. The Magi return home, but they don't go through Jerusalem. They don't check in with Herod. They get out of there they another way. They to die. Yeah, right. Um, well, no, we don't know that guy. Mary and Joseph, yeah. they, they go to Egypt for a while, come back, but then they don't return to Bethlehem or Jerusalem. They instead go north past Judea, past Samaria to Galilee, where they then live in Nazareth, away from the the influence of Herod and his throne. And uh, Eugene is amazed that these people were willing to do everything they did for not only what they believed, but who they believed in. Mr. Whitaker, it was, it was quite real. The wise men, Simeon, Proclus, all of them willing to live and die for, for, for what they believed. No not only for what they believed, for him. Yeah. Yeah. For Jesus. Oh, yeah, they, they don't let you get away with, yeah. with <laughs> no. anything. No. Well, I'm sold. You're sold? Sign me out. Yeah. All right. Let's go. 
That's great. Congratulations. I'll get you a, a free Gideon's Bible, <laughs> and we're going to go from there. Yeah. We'll, se- we'll send you uh, three CDs for $29.99. Three easy payments at $29.99. Because we're going to need your money to stop abortion. That's so, right. So, mm-hmm. like, we have to get you onboarded pretty fast. Does anyone have a transition? Sure. I, I can't yeah. stop thinking about abortion now. Olaf, do you, do you have a transition? No. We've spoken about dying for what you believe in. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what do you believe in when you die? Oh! This episode will address those concerns in another special two-parter when we return. <laughs> Holy oh shit. That God. was done. Well done. <laughs> well, hey there, listeners. It's me, the Holy Spirit, an enormous bird who lives inside the chest cavity of Jesus Christ. Bark, bark. Fellow birds, are you also living in the chest of a prophet? Do you keep your host body up squawking on all hours of the night? Would you like something to differentiate the endless days of just kind of flapping around? Then you need the Savior Seed! Oh, the Savior Seed is the only bird seed laced with weapons great hallucinogens capable of inducing phantasmagoric dream circuses in the minds of any bird who ingests them! Bark, bark. Why spend hours contemplating the incredibly cramped space you found yourself in when you could say whoopity wahoo as the drug lace savior seed conjures up the image of three elephants endlessly switching heads, bark bark. So buy the savior seed today so you too can avoid thinking about your unholy prison in this tiny damp cavity that smells like flesh and lung and meat forever, bark bark. What did I do to deserve this? I would apologize if I could only remember what I did, bark bark. The shadows dance before me in the dark. But if you can't tell the shadows from the cave, or yourself from the shadows, then do you become the cave, Bark Bark? Am I a bird trapped in a human's chest? Or am I a human with a bird trapped inside me? Which came first, the chicken or the Christ, Bark Bark? So buy the savior seed today, and then have a close friend or confidant chew it up into tiny bits, and then puke it into your mouth the way the Lord intended. The savior seed. Eat what you sow, Mark Mark. All right, cool. So, um, <laughs> that one's that one's gonna get saved right. alongside. Arrivederci, amigos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that one's going to get saved along with Lev at the end of this two-parter because hey, we are no. going to discover hey, oh God. <laughs> no. what happens after death. Fuck. Oh, man. Spoiler for this episode, by the way, the title of which is Wit Fucking Dies. <laughs> What a crock of shit. You two got my fucking hopes up. Oh, that he's like going to die for this good. This motherfucker was finally going down. Absolutely. No, well, not not quite. Uh, not he does, yet. But, but he does die. Yeah. To my credit, he does die. That's why the episode is called Wit Fucking Dies. Um, but That's why this episode was written, which is what's so insane Yeah, to me. why don't you just do the backstory of that real quick, Brian? Yeah, so these episodes, their real title is The Mortal Coil. That's right. Parts one and two. They are written by our boy Paul McCusker in November of 1992, and he explicitly wrote this 
it was, I guess, one going to be a one-parter somehow about Wit dying, and it was going to be for Hal Smith to record before he actually died. <laughs> how do you? What do you? How do you feel and about that, Lev? I, I see, I see a bit of a reaction there. <laughs> Was he in danger of dying? Does he die later? Yeah, he just was, old. Well, so at this point, he was about seventy-four years old. <laughs> That's and, a little insulting. <laughs> and and he was he was uh, he was bigger. He was a bigger mm-hmm. man. And and his wife, he might have had some health problems, but his wife also just passed away a few months before they recorded this right. too. Which is why the episode is dedicated to her at the They're end. Like, hey, so sorry about that, but we yeah. have that got us Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Paul McCusker wrote this, but then they thought there was something more compelling and expanded whatever the the original idea was mm. and made it this two-parter and then just did something kind of weird when when Hal Smith actually died. And and the character of Wit is still alive now. They're on the third one. Okay. They so, don't even uh, bring in his brother, Mitch, or the son that they tease? Well, no, that's, that's actually what they did for a little while before finding the second Wit. It'll be really exciting when the fourth Wit comes and he just has a big, long scarf and a floppy hat and he's going to be like everyone favorite wit for a while and uh-huh. he's the cool wit he's the cool <laughs> wit yeah i'm not like the other wits no i'm the no. cool wit um so <laughs> this episode then kicks off this is eugene who again along with connie works at wits and you know they're, they're they're starting in they're prepping for the day but connie is noticing hey you know wit's not around he usually preps the cutlery and does stuff like that at top of day what's going on by the way one quick question here how long are the hours that Connie and Eugene work at Wits End? I had that thought for the first time while listening to this episode. It's 4.30 a.m. They rise uh, with the cock crow every morning. Right. uh, Make their way to Wits End and then they work a solid, you know, just a very conservative 19-hour day. Right, right. (laughs) Then they're allowed to leave. What goes on outside of this imagination machine? It seems like everything is just a mad rush to get to the imagination machine. Really just trying to get through as much stuff no one is coming in to order a soda pop <laughs> you know it, it it depends on the episode of course girlfriend nothing oh, <laughs> Eugene doesn't have a girlfriend yet that happens later no yeah and she's played by Millhouse from the Simpsons whoa yeah big so no, big big get <laughs> there are episodes that center around the ice cream shop there are episodes that center around the train set, much to the delight of Eugene and uh, Josh, I guess. Uh, how, there are how episodes. Could, how could a train set teach you about Christian ethics? Well, it, well, so well, in, the, in 2017, when they did the 14 parter, they used the trains to teach kids about gender. No, they they did. No. They fucking did. How? It is brain meltingly bad. I I don't even know where to, Lev. I can just send it to you because we're not going to get to <laughs> Wait, that for ages. Yeah. But like, if you really want to hear how a train is your gender um i i mean just fucking but 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 it is but brian a a train is my gender (laughs) see well that was what i was gonna say is that it was fascinating not the the one joke yeah it's not the trains gender anybody Uh, anybody uh the minute we brought up trains josh pulled out an entire binder just full of notes about (laughs) trains (laughs) (laughs) and even the uh the imagination station itself is in the bible room right so there's all sorts of other little gadgets and gizmos, like there's a mirror that's black, and then if you say a Bible verse to it, it tells you the verse that says, now we look through a glass darkly. What? Uh, I don't remember a, this. There's a Tower of Babylon that lights up. Oh, yeah. 
There is mm-hmm. uh, an armor of God. I don't think that does anything. Brian, how are you burying the lead and not talking uh, about the room of consequences? <laughs> because it's not there yet, oh. AJ. And it's still just also the imagination station. <laughs> Wit just keeps inventing the imagination give station me, after a while. Give me, uh, the, give me a minute on the room of consequences. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anything about this either other than the name. Yeah. Yeah, Brian, do you have a solid G- 60 on the, the room pitch. of consequences? Give us the Go for it. Pitch, so the imagination station sends you into the past, right? Sends you into the past. The room of consequences sends you into the future. So like there's an episode that's one character is like, I wish every day could be my birthday. And then it's like, well, let's go to the room of consequences then. (laughs) And then her birthday becomes Groundhog Day and she never gets to escape it ever. So I would not I would simply not go to the room of consequences. Uh, uh, (laughs) The title is a real downer. It is. Yeah. There's also a theater here. Uh, Kids will do. Plays, plays, puppet shows, things of that I nature. I guess that's probably where they also do the Bible bowls, where they get quizzed on trivia from the Bible. Nice. There is also a radio station built into Wit's End. There's a little like sound studio somewhere. The craziest thing to me is that this place is actually real. Like they built a Wit's End in the middle of Colorado, in Colorado Springs. Yeah. Yeah, at Focus on the Family Headquarters, there is a small replica wit's end. It isn't quite as fully featured as the real thing. There's no trains, much to my dismay. There but, is still um, a room of consequences. How could they not have trains? That's like the easiest thing it's they so, could do. It's so easy. You just get some fucking Lionel trains and hook up some tracks. Fuck. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back to the imagination station then, because this is really the core of the episode. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so Connie's like, where's Wit? She goes upstairs to see what Wit is up to, and he's been working on something all night. Connie's yeah. like, what's going on? And Eugene's like, he's working on a new program. And Connie's like, well, what is it? He's like, well, I didn't ask. I'm not curious like you. Remember how curiosity gets you in right. so much trouble? Constance Kendall, you the curious one and that is a direct they reference still can't live down the fucking applesauce incident and that by the way fault. so the yeah. applesauce incident uh was something that happened when connie wanted to access a program that she wasn't allowed to access and then mm. told eugene about this program called apple sauce do you see what this is lev do you see what this is an analog to in the oh, bible the, uh, the tree of knowledge tree of knowledge of good and evil yeah so yeah. the episode is an analog to well that. it's digital it's not analog and it's poisoned my mind like a poisoned mind. apple applesauce yeah. yeah uh so i think that's hilarious that that eugene is lecturing connie about being curious where he's a scientist isn't curiosity supposed yeah. to be a good thing yeah. and then connie comes back to him like don't preach at me eugene and i'm like <laughs> coming from you constance yeah coming seriously. from you constance kendall but uh th- basically what wit has been doing is he's creating an imagination station program about death yeah he had some sort of off-screen conversation with connie about death regarding her grandmother who is not dead her, her grandmother's alive she's actually going to die in about a year um what it makes me say connie your grandmother will die in a year's time he went to um, the room of consequences and found out she was going to die yeah. in a year so i i correctly predicted if i may that was afterlife centric my second assumption was it's a wonderful life but mm. then when we okay. became addicted to death, spoilers, right? That's, yeah. that one also connected. So, yeah. So Wit says this. And that was the challenge. Could I put together a program for the imagination station that'll help us understand what death is? And so this is another point where they're like um, treating the imagination station as a way to talk about the show. Right. Mm. Could we make a show for kids? Yeah. That's about what death is. Right. And uh, uh, which you could, I mean, Sesame Street did it, 
and they did it in a, a, a much less weird Twilight Zone kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where they're just like, "Hey, this old man has passed away." But what ends yeah. up happening in this episode instead is that, uh, well, Connie decides to try out the program. She enters the Imagination Station. She pushes the red button. Yep. It doesn't work. Uh, so Wade yep. goes in and pushes the button in, instead, and uh, yep. it starts. So, Ms. Kendall, did you appease your curiosity? If you mean, did Wit tell me about the program? Yes, he did. In fact, he built it for me. Really? Mm-hmm. He's testing it now. It didn't work when I tried it a oh. minute. What was that? Try the intercom. Wit? Wit, oh. is everything all right? <laughs> oh, Carly. Wit? Stop the program. But Step aside, please. Mr. Whitaker, hello? The door won't open. Wit! Oh, something's wrong. We have to get him out. I'm trying, but, but it's not responding. Wit! So Wit has made this program. It didn't work for Connie, which uh, approaching this with my adult brain and having watched other shows since then, it really makes it seem like maybe Connie is actually in it this whole time. And this whole thing is just like some sort of elaborate program to like affect her. Yeah, oh, sure. that is not the case. That was my that, that, that fake it out just has didn't happened work uh, in other episodes where somebody with the uh, room of consequences actually. Yeah, where they'll be like, "Well, this didn't do anything," and it turns out that the adventure has started. And Wit sounds really confused uh, at this point. He's kind of like, "Well, it needs more work. It needs more work." And this, yeah, yeah. He it's his old tagline too. That's right. what he used to say in the introduction to the show. He'd be like, "I'm making a new invention." And it goes a little wonky, and he goes, "Well, it leads it needs a little bit." more work and I don't know if this was self-conscious it definitely or just was like, um, yeah, so I think. here he is being very normal is something wrong is some we heard you cry out did I yeah and then we couldn't get the machine to stop I used the emergency reset button did I make a mistake uh oh no it's all right I was just testing the program and well it needs some more work are you okay me oh I'm fine just uh, just a little tired. I, I think I'll go home and rest for a while. Um, my initial thought was that he had gotten a head wound. Um, uh, oh, sure. A friend of mine a long time ago was walking uh, on the streets of New York and hit an ice patch and just smacked her mm. head. And when I went to see her in the hospital, she was caught in a loop of just like four or five sentences that she would say over and over again. And then her mind would mm. like reset entirely um, and she would not remember the previous wow. conversation. And so that's what that was my first in, inclination was that he got a head wound. He was like, oh, no, I'm fine. Just a little tired. Right. Oh, did something happen? I'm fine. I'm just a little tired because it does that sort of loop. Um, and then I briefly thought that maybe the imagination station was running on a small nuclear reactor and he had just like been exposed to like nuclear, <laughs> like enormous levels of radiation <laughs> and it had just like fried his brain. Yeah, it's plutonium that he got from the Libyans. Yeah, right. I think at this stage, I thought as we discussed that this was when is going to die to teach Connie a lesson. OK, sure. <laughs> but like not for real die. Like like this is an imagination station adventure in which he dies for yes. fake. Exactly. Sure. Oh, uh, yeah. OK. So, yeah, you were on that wavelength, too. Well, Connie tells Eugene that this adventure is about death. And immediately then we're at Wit's house. And uh, Wit has not done anything about concussion protocol. He just went home and went <laughs> to bed. Uh, yeah. And Tom Riley, who is the sort of friendly hayseed, you know, closest confidant of Wit. He's, he's Wit's apple supplier because Wit puts apples in just a, quite a lot of things at Wit's end, mm -hmm. apparently, including the banana splits and computer mm -hmm. programs. He claims that he was just in the area. But generally speaking, when Tom comes by and says he was in the area, it means that he has some sort of ulterior motive in mind. And indeed, we do find out that Connie and Eugene got a hold of Tom and said, hey, 
you should probably go see what's going on with Wit. Wit? It was all there, Tom. What was? My life. Scenes, people, places. Things I thought I'd forgotten about. It was like I was living it all over again. It was so real. And Wit feels pretty good about this. Like he feels he great this about a set of CDs. And in and, 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 and Tom twenty nine ninety nine for <laughs> over three and Tom is is horrified right. by what he's hearing, right? And it goes on. You know that Jesus took the sting out of death. Jesus, death is our doorway to God, but it's not something we should want or try to create. <laughs> it's a so you're just like shaking your head. God alone opens it for us, right? Of course, but no buts about it. Right off the bat, my big problem with any theology like this that requires some opt-in, what happened before Jesus? Yeah. When people were dying. And I know they're yeah. like, oh, good news. They're in purgatory. I'm like, well, <laughs> this is <laughs> Even worse, they were in hell. And then Jesus had to go down to hell to bring the good ones to heaven after he died in the harrowing of hell. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, man. That's, that's a Catholic thing, though. Protestants don't believe that. Oh, okay. is that true? Yeah, there, there's definitely a point w- with Protestantism where you just stop asking. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, there was probably some other arrangement going on there. I'm not going to think about it too much. Right. Jesus took over from another god. That one was, was based <laughs> on a whole different, yeah, yeah, whole yeah. inscrutable thing. So this might be a good time to bring up that I had a vision from God once. Not to one up everyone in Adventures of Odyssey, <laughs> but uh, this is a true Holy story. Uh, so good. did Wit Lev. So yeah, he, well, he there we go. Visions. So we're tied. So, yeah. <laughs> so first of all, let me start theologically. Judaism, death, with the attitude there is sort of whatever. There's no opt-in. There's theoretically some world to come. It's not really based on how good you were, especially if you were good, maybe kind of that's good for you. If you weren't so Mm -hmm. good, well, mm -mm, there's very little on the punishment and reward side. Mm. Uh, But so one night, a couple nights before Passover of 2016, 2017, something like that. So I smoked a little marijuana as I'm wont to do, you know, six nights a week, five if my mom is listening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, not a lie, just a hedge. Hi, Mrs. So, Novak. Hey, so I go straight to bed and suddenly I am in this other place. It is this crisp white oblivion, uh, like in a Bugs Bunny cartoon where there's no background. And I'm standing there and behind the back of my head, I understand or perceive there to be an infinite gray cloud that I magnetically cannot turn to face. I know it's there and I understand this to be God. And God asks me, so how'd you like it? And I am overcome, really and truly overcome with emotion, with love, with peace. I've never felt anything like it before or since. Uh, relief, joy, and the shock that God exists and he's a homie. Not only did I not believe in God, <laughs> but I certainly didn't believe in a God who I would want to believe. This is great news. I understood a little sliver of evangelical Christianity. You'd kind of want to tell everyone. This mm-hmm. is a big game changer. Sure. And I told God the truth as you want to do. I told God, well, I didn't enjoy it as much as I should have. I was really anxious about stuff that didn't matter. I was worried about this. I was worried about that. Parts of it I liked. And God was like, basically, well, what can you do? 
Uh, it was a little <laughs> bit like I imagine uh, a parent asks their kid, how is your day at preschool? And the kid mm. is telling you everything, all the ups and the downs. You kind of care. You kind of care a lot. And you also really don't care because right. you know how unimportant it was. So it was all those feelings I could I got from God. Like it was not a very mm. big deal. My life one way or the other. Hoped I liked it. What can you do if I didn't? And it was time for what was next. And what was next was one of four things uh, that I, it was either oblivion, a return to the life as I knew it, some sort of afterlife or rebirth in some new human way. And I woke up and I bolted upright. I remembered all of this. And I spoke to two rabbis after this who were visibly jealous, which is also a good sign. Mm-hmm. And they told me that r- rabbinically speaking, my dream meets the qualifications for a uh, communication with God, among other mm. things. Whoa. Uh, the fact that I that God appeared as a cloud they could not turn to face right. is consistent with the dreams and visions of lesser prophets. I'll take it. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I already knew that one, but what I did not know is. The first, the Zohar, there's like an ancient teaching I wasn't supposed to be aware of because I wasn't a rabbi, but like Mm. they had something in their back pocket to validate like things like this. And I met a qualification because apparently when you die, God is supposed to ask you, how did you enjoy the creation? Hmm. AKA, so how'd you like it? Right. Whoa. Yeah. It was adapted to like your vernacular. That's so cool. God is, that's what I'm saying. God was adapted to my vibe. It was amazing. Yeah. So that's my experience. And all this is to say that this version of this afterlife, which is dependent on opt in and behavior and is focused on the other. To me, I was like, my dream was almost more Christian. My vision was almost Mm. more Christian. It's about a meeting with God, not your old deceased relatives. Yeah. God is the encompass encompasses all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, I wish you had written this episode. It would have been bad for my career, I imagine. Yeah, no, not... <laughs> yes. What do you think about Tom Riley as a character? I'm fascinated to hear what your first impressions of this dude is. Tom Riley, the Apple salesman. Yes. Um, I found him to be make a lot of sense in a really funny way. I. I thought that wit was sort of the base Christian, but it was really funny to introduce someone more base Christian than yeah. wit. Yeah. Wit as this, you know, gone too far, liberal madman, you know, <laughs> asking too many questions. And all that, all that pro suicide liberalism. Out there. <laughs> it, 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 it's an interesting dynamic, right? Because, you know, wit at this point and in this conversation really is trying to play God. Right. Like it, yes. it, it, it's it's clear that he his hubris has, has has gotten so extreme that he believes that he can do a number of things, including simulate the experience of what happens after death. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, Lev, sort of your story, because when you talk about that experience of facing God, of facing yeah. your creator, yeah. you know, that is a big thing in Christian tradition as well this idea that you know one of the best parts of the afterlife one of the best parts of heaven is that you get to experience what it's like to never be out of the presence of god that the presence of god is with you at all times because in in christian theology the idea is that because of original sin and because you know adam and eve bit the apple and all that shit uh it has severed our 
uh, immediate bond with God. Whereas before in the garden, you could just go and hang out with God in that way whenever you yeah. wanted to. God walked around and right. And that line that there was that separation, that natural and even sort of legal separation away from God. Yes. That then the death of Christ, whatever form it takes, whether that is the harrowing of hell or not, creates an actual bridge back to the, the kingdom of God. And I'm curious right. to hear how that sort of theology specifically around like the idea of the fall and all of that and Christianity compares to the Jewish tradition around that stuff. The Jewish tradition around that is really focused on debate and has no, I mean, listen, I can't speak for all Judaism. My particular mm-hmm. branch of, you know, conservative ish Judaism, conservative being below Orthodox, uh, below, right, yeah. much below Hasidim in the hierarchy, not politically right. conservative. Sure. Uh, the understanding that we have is in a way, this was all inevitable and supposed to happen in such a way that there's traditions that basically say that it was inevitable. We were, this was going to happen. Mm -hmm. There's no hand wringing. There's no shame really around original sin. Uh, To us, the beginning of the story really begins with Abraham. Sure. Everything Mm -hmm. else is sort of prologue. It's Mm. Christianity cares a lot more about the garden of Eden than Judaism does. Got it. Judaism (laughs) cares a lot more about, ah, from Jacob's dealings with Laban, we learn. Right. A lot more human based interactive stories. Well, and that makes sense too, because like with the, this, another interesting thing about, again, the fact that focus on the family is a fundamentalist Christian organization. They partner with similar organizations. There's this whole idea of like, well, Earth must have been created in seven literal days. And like Adam and Eve were real literal people. And in the fundamentalist Christian tradition, which inevitably again, it all has to be the text of the Bible Mm -hmm. without other traditions attached to it. Even though there are, of course, other traditions, because that's just what happens. (laughs) But it it finds, I think, this this sort of way of thinking finds its logical conclusion in what we experience in this episode, which, again, is very literal, Mm -hmm. very textually driven in a lot of ways, although some creative liberty is used. Um, And it's it's, it's very different from the experience that you shared with us, Lev. And um, it'll be interesting when we when we get to that. And I have another question on, on that that meeting that vision yes did you have a desire afterwards to return Mm. to it no that's a great question um i whatever was going to happen was okay with me i was really at peace i was like whatever uh so oblivion seems fine rebirth seems fine my life seems fine being a a rock sounds cool whatever (laughs) no real inclination one way or the other i guess god must have checked your vibes in the moment and sent you back then you know and yeah to to be fair that was always the most likely option i think sure but i digress (laughs) i I will tell you real quickly about judaism interest in interest in textual literate literalism Mm, so where i'm from again religiously speaking there's still that drive and this part is common with christianity to make Mm. everything as literal as you can while still backing up the impossibility. So let me give right. you an example of a Jewish interpretation. Right. Seven days. However, we know that the sun wasn't created. Therefore, how would God measure time? Therefore, a mm. day could be an epoch to God. Right. How do we understand that uh, light was created before the sun? We understand that many suns and lights were created. Therefore, the concept of light preceded the sun around the earth, which is what, you know, but, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, same yeah, thing yeah, with yeah. the firmament getting separated from the exactly. heavens. It's like, it's not, yeah. 
Judaism prizes going backwards to use your intellect mm -hmm. to make any case you can. So the idea of, well, what is a day to God or what is a day before the sun and the moon rose? And what would a cycle be is sounds like, you know, uh, obstructing a clear narrative path. But in Judaism, it's you have to build a path that makes logical sense. So that mm -hmm. is prioritized. So we would never say literal seven days. Seven right. epochs. Right. And, and, and how that, do we justify this? And of course, the fact that seven is like a, a number of uh, significance in the text, too. So yes, like yes, seven absolutely. being a concept as opposed to a literal like it's seven as we understand seven to be. And and to 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 also iterate like th that, that's the position of probably most Christians. Right. Mm -hmm. But not these Christians. Right. They understand that seven days is an interpretation of how we understand the universe and that there are yeah seven instances that are part of the creation oh, cool. of the earth right. yeah just not this tradition that well, if I, produces if, adventures and odyssey I can, <laughs> if i can give a quick plug actually Ooh, i'm working yeah. on a book on this very concept oh, uh, okay. the working title is called the devil's bible and it's an alternate examination of genesis cool. uh, with textual right. analysis so i'll let you all know when it's ready that's I'll awesome that'd be really great yeah I'm no we'll absolutely, absolutely get the word that. out and um, i uh, <laughs> i I will say that the only thing that I've ever taken literally from Genesis uh, is actually from the story of Noah, which is if your dad is drunk, don't walk in on him. Mm. <laughs> I like I like that Ham's idea after that, too, was like, hey, guys, check it. Dad's totally nude right now. <laughs> <laughs> Ham, we don't care. You keep trying to show us. Dad like, that's naked. Weird. like that's weird, dude. Like why? That's weird. Stop. No, no. You can see his ham. Get it? I'm, <laughs> I'm ham. After Tom has his conversation with Wit uh, and Wit really shares just how powerful that experience was for him. Wit basically says that although it was emotionally draining, he saw all of these people who he hadn't seen in years, and it made him long for a reunion with these people who he loves, that that was very significant yeah. and very meaningful for him. And Tom says, well, I don't like it. That sounds dangerous. Then that's where we get that whole monologue and that we just heard about, like how, you know, the, the death closed is locked door. door. Yeah. And, and the deaths of these two characters loom over these early years of Adventures in Odyssey. It always comes up. We actually have met Jenny before in a flashback episode. Her death is what let, led Wit to start Wit's end. Mm -hmm. And Jerry's death in Vietnam led to a lot of his reactionary politics. And it drew a, a, a huge wedge between him and his daughter, Jana. So, yes, there's Damn. Jana, Jenny, John, Jason, Jingleheimer, Jerry. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Tom's like, all right, Wit, if you're going to do this, at least I'm going to go with you. Because, right. like... Mm -hmm. Yeah. You shouldn't be doing this on your own, and clearly I'm not going to convince you otherwise. Wit hops back into the imagination station. We hear then, after he pushes the button, a montage of different scenes that are actually yeah. from previous episodes of Adventures in Odyssey. Wow. Well, and a few little clips of like other things, like him singing in church and saying the Pledge of Allegiance, which are apparently the <laughs> only things that. that happened to him when he was a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's, it's oh. the one-two punch of that. I'm like, this is a conservative wet dream. It's Absolutely. Really <laughs> is that all of it? John? What? Who's there? John? Is that... Jenny? So at the end of that montage, she sees his dead wife. Right. And, and uh, well, that continues on for a while with oh yeah her for saying, a long time. It's me. It's me, John. And he says, "Jenny, is that you? Yes, it's <laughs> me, John." 
Jenny, my wife? <laughs> it happens again in part two, so I tried to grab as little of it as possible. It really does kind of read like a Greek tragedy of like brother and sister recognizing each other after yeah. not seeing each other for like 20 years. Uh, and on the on the outside, meanwhile, Tom is like, Wit, are you okay? And at first he says, yes, I'm fine, Tom. But then uh, all of a sudden <laughs> he stops responding. Off. Tom yeah. disables the program, opens up the imagination station, and uh, Wit's unconscious body is inside. So mm. Tom immediately calls for an ambulance. So Wit's already dead, and there's an episode and a half to go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I he's mean, not. Where do you go from here? But he's uh, not well, dead yet. Yeah. Uh, in fact, what's interesting is that structurally, this is the that Billy Moomy episode of the Twilight Zone, not the one where he's the evil kid, the other one where he has the telephone that talks to his dead grandmother, mm-hmm. and she keeps encouraging him to kill himself so that they can hang out again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh boy. Yeah, no, she like I get it. Like she had a hard life. She was an immigrant and you know, like things weren't easy in the old country, but like, god damn, don't kill your eight year old grandson. Yeah, like he'll he'll get there in time. Don't like, worry. Like about he it. can already talk to you on the phone. Yeah, just don't, just don't you have friends or husbands? Why do you want to know ten year old so bad? Damn. No, I call my look up with Frank Sinatra. Yeah. He's up there. Exactly. I call my grandma all the time and she's still alive. Like it, it this it's it's it, this is not that difficult. Come on. <laughs> um, but uh, then what happens is that they all go to the hospital. Connie and Eugene come by. The doctor advises uh, Tom to call Wit's family. Uh, he's in a sort of mystery coma-like state. So Wit glimpses. I, wanna, I wanted to have some of his actual glimpse of heaven oh, in sure. here. Is this supposed to be heaven? You tell me. Are you being coy or don't you know? No, you tell me. What did you think heaven would be like, John? Something beautiful. Something nicer than this. Maybe a lush green forest. (laughs) stream. Did you do that? What is this? Is this really supposed to be heaven? Eye hasn't seen, nor has the ear heard, nor has entered into man's imagination what God has prepared for those who love him. You know that. I can't tell you anything you don't already know. I also can't place whatever that hymn is that's playing mm. in the background for this part. That sounds a little bit like Danny Boy, but it's not. And I, <laughs> oh, I can't figure it out. I just thought the but, composer um, fell asleep during this part. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this is this is really trying to seed, and then it gets more explicit because it's Adventures in Odyssey, and it has to get more explicit or they'll get letters. Exactly. That this is just Wit's imagination right. of what heaven is. This is, this not, is not a divine heaven. vision right. that can be uh, correlated with with secret scriptures to say oh yeah you've experienced something that's not just something that you would come up with in your own head but this seems like Um, heaven to wit because he's a complete control of everything that happens around him he can shape the universe to his whim he finally has everything he wants of course let go wit go towards the light no one will miss you so the whole thing vis-a-vis wit dying i knew he was going back you know, they're they're not yeah. going to let Wit die just to have a good time. And certainly not as part of this, like, what if room of consequence situation. So for me, I was just kind of counting down until it was the end of Wizard of Oz. Right. But he was yeah. like, we're all there. I think I, the important thing is to keep hanging out. Yeah. Although I did wonder if like now, as you remember, when he was in a coma, the doctor or nurse said that he needed 
oral stimulation. Mm. So besides writing down the word oral <laughs> stimulation, she, she, question mark. <laughs> uh, she did make a very deliberate point of saying aural, aural oh. to be like a u r a l. And you still misread her, you filthy, filthy there man. There I go. Uh, well, regardless, I was, I was, sucks waiting, you off. I was waiting for, for Wit to hear the people who needed him on Earth and have that right. work yeah. ethic overpower God. Well, so, yes. ultimately, it is the. I, I, I do believe that it is the Protestant work ethic that saves the, the day. The Protestant here. work ethic is more powerful than the Lord of Hosts. That's right. I love that so much. <laughs> so at this point, Tom and Eugene decide to go back to Wit's End together to try the program. Yeah. Because at this point, it's like we need to find out what's going on in there. Right. right. Uh, Eugene. And Tom kind of go back and forth in terms of who should do it. Eugene's like, I'm younger. And Tom's like, well, I'm more experienced. And also my imagination is more like Wit's imagination. Uh, And eventually Tom does go in. And uh, pretty much immediately, as soon as he goes in, he then bangs on the glass to be let back out. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, this is just dangerous, dangerous shit. I'm not going to touch any more of it. Also, Jana and Jason show up at the hospital. Wit's living children. I just have to grab that clip. Jana is the original voice actor, DJ Harner. She has played Jana even as recently as 2016. DJ Harner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jason is not yet being played by Townsend Coleman. He is being played by Tom Pinto for this one appearance, and then he's Townsend Coleman after this. Mm. Well, it's uh, because Tom Pinto. someone hit him in his trunk and he exploded, so they had to replace him. Yes, thank it's, you, it's my, Mike Wallace. My um, Pinto so- reference. <laughs> Uh, my parents had Pintos and they both got stolen Ooh. and it makes you wonder what kind of a person steals a Pinto and I'll tell <laughs> you really, yeah, huh? someone who lives in Tulsa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, they both show up. I just wanted to grab this little, little clip Connie here. Connie Candle. Uh, Connie, this is Jana, Witch Daughter. Oh, of course. You were. You helped me with Monty last oh, time. Hi, Yeah, uh, This is Witch's son, Jason. Hi, oh. I've heard a lot about you through Dad's letters. Did, did I hear you right, Tom? This whole thing happened because of that imagination, whatever? The imagination station. Well, I don't care what you call it. I, You know, I always said those inventions would hurt him one day. I just knew it. Look, don't get yourself all bent out of shape here. Let's just Dragon find out a few Jana. more of the facts before we pass judgment. Hmm, spoken like a druidic Well, hang on. So, yeah, Jana comes in and then the Adventures in Odyssey writers are like, well, she still has to be a huge bitch because yeah. we hate her. And it's even do, though she's completely right. We don't. I know. We, we she love doesn't. Her. She doesn't hit her child. And that's a big problem. Oh, that's a true yeah. fact. Wit has to yeah. beat the shit out of his grandson. I, damn. That's why later we have her that that little flashback where she's chewing Wit out. Totally and then she's like, I'm so sorry for saying that. That was after Wit beat the shit out of her kid. So <laughs> what motive? What? For why did he see? Uh, he was misbehaving. Her? It was corporal punishment, and oh. he lost yeah. some money. So, Focus on the Family was founded by James Dobson, who was who is he's still alive somehow. Uh, but he was a child psychologist, um, <laughs> and he wrote a book called Dare to Discipline, which became a very big hit in the seventies. Uh-huh. And it's all about how the big problem with kids today is that they're not receiving corporal punishment. Yeah. And so corporal punishment needs to be reinstated. So that is at the base of what this entire organization is. Uh, and so this is Jana. Apologizing for getting all bent out of shape. After Tom has found out that the Imagination Station adventure is something that ought to be destroyed, he tells Eugene to do as much. Yeah. Then Tom goes back to Wit's room. And this is the point where Wit actually flatlines. This is where Wit fucking dies. Oh. Um, and mm. he dies for a period of time. And it's at the opening of episode two that mm-hmm. where we also heard that little like, look at the trees and shit. Mm. All of that is happening right as he is still technically dead. 
He and then oh. they bring him back using a defibrillator. Meanwhile, over at the imagination station, Eugene tries out the program and panics. Eugene Meltzner. Sorry I couldn't take your call, but leave your name and telephone number at the sound of the tone, and I'll phone back post-haste. Eugene, are you there? This is very well done. This is another one of those moments where it's like, oh, man, they they like, they like know it. They know how to play with the medium. Yep. <sighs> this is efficient storytelling. He's having Potential a trauma flashback and, in yeah. a nightmare. He's waking mm-hmm. up. You know, that has communicated everything so much more clearly than like a long five minute scene and, of him stepping into like the imagination. Hearing his 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 yeah. gasping breaths yep. while Connie is leaving him a message on his answer. Very machine. well acted. They erase the program. Jason promises that he's willing to come back to uh Odyssey if necessary. Uh, foreshadowing foreshadowing so Lev that's that is what happens so Wit doesn't have a brother who moves in when he leaves town uh, when the actor dies they have an old childhood friend of his and his son Jason move back to Odyssey and they sort of split the character into two characters and they're roommates (laughs) (laughs) one's tiny the other one's messy that 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 would have been awesome but sadly no Um, no they do that with Eugene and Bernard the janitor though I think they really double down on Jana's uh, overall bitchiness in this episode. Yeah, they mm-hmm. really Th- like. There's a point where Jason's like, oh, hey, dad, are you in there? And Jana says, how could you be so flippant at a time like this? And I'm like, he, <laughs> you know, with that perfectly timed joke he just told of asking yeah. if his dad was there. Like, it, it, it's so funny how much they stack the deck against her. But yeah. because I hate wit so much, I can't help but be on her side. Yeah. She's always right. Always. I mean, where do you stand on the uh, uh, Jana versus Wit debate, Lev? So, as a newcomer to the show, yeah, I'm a little yeah. confused as to what's Jenna, what's Jenna, weird name, what's her mm-hmm. vibe, what's her life outside mm-hmm. of Wit? Uh, she's divorced. Oh, uh, that's a big thing. Uh, she works in banking. Mm-hmm. She has a son who's very misbehaved, and he doesn't receive corporal punishment. Big problem. She also has a daughter who is a genius. And oh, a, like nice. violin prodigy. Yeah. You know, we heard about how Witt's son died in Vietnam, oh, yeah. his son Jerry. Yeah. After that happened, Jana tried to compensate. She right. tried to be the good kid, but she also turned very anti-war mm. at the same time. It, it just sort of created yeah. this very unhealthy dynamic that they actually explored very thoughtfully. Yeah. A very long time ago. Yeah. And then here she just comes back and is like, why is dad still playing with the imagination station? <laughs> I always told him that was going to be a problem. She's right in the voice, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but does that make, does DJ? that clarify anything for you there, Lev? Or? Yes, thank you. Oh, well, it's clear to me that he likes his son better. And vice versa. Yeah. yeah. And I think that they should have played up for divorce more. I think they should, they should have been like, where's your husband? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd like more recap. They could have done that if they'd wanted to, because it's a mm-hmm. fucking two-parter, but they chose not to. And they just really make Jana sound very flat and annoying. Yes. Now, when do we get to Eugene going to hell? Is now, what I want to know. We do it right yeah. now. So yeah. back at Eugene's place, 
Connie has now come over to try to see what the hell is up with him. Yeah, she's basically broken into his dorm. <laughs> I, I do like there's something about the the writing and the sound design here that lets you see it in your head, though. Like you can envision yeah. the curtains are drawn. It's probably either way too hot or way too cold in there. Yeah. Eugene went to the imagination station and the imagination station knew he wasn't Christian. Right. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. so Eugene experiences this. What happened, Eugene? It was the most horrifying thing I've ever experienced. I, I've never felt such loneliness or isolation. It was as though I were completely separated from everyone and everything, completely and thoroughly alone. Not like I was off by myself somewhere, but, but as though I were non-existent in a dark void of solitude. I was alone, Connie utterly alone in a, in a burning blackness, and I've had nothing but nightmares since then. So the music is a little, it kind of undercuts it's a bit. It's a bit much. They, if if they had no Will, music under this, yeah. oh man. Will Ryan's performance, I mean, imagine being a little kid and hearing this. This is uh, Josh time now. <laughs> this episode traumatized me. This description of hell is one of the things that has stuck with me the most about sort of how I think about the eschatology of the afterlife. Which isn't to say that I necessarily believe it anymore, but uh, a part of my subconscious does and always will. Because uh, as a kid, I heard this and the idea here is that the kids who are listening to this are already going to be Christian. So, you know, this is nothing that they would ever have to that we would ever have to worry about. We're saved. We're going to go to heaven like wit. We're not going to go to hell like Eugene. But boy, howdy. Is this something terrifying to put into a yeah. kid's program? And I, I remember yeah. it thoroughly. It's like how uh, on this show we, we talked about an, um, an old movie from the 70s called A Thief in the Night about the rapture. Yeah. And how it traumatized a whole swath of baby boomers who already believed in the Lord, worried that they were not going to get raptured and they were going to get stuck oh, in this horrible apocalyptic boomers. world. I know, cool. right? <laughs> All left alone. <laughs> and it's funny, and, too, because if you see the movie, it, then it, and how cheesy it is, oh, you'll really so be good. like, oh, boomers. Yeah. Because it's just so. It's, this was my thief in the night. Yeah, yeah. this was like the because the idea of like hell is like it's on fire. Yeah. This is so okay. much worse. Yeah, you, it's like it's pretty bad. At a but this point. is like, hey kids, you know how you feel when you're at Sears and your parents have accidentally like left you behind? Mm-hmm. What if it was that forever and then someone turned the lights off at Sears and then you could never leave Sears? Yep. A Sears is of certainly one type of hell. And I, you know, uh, Lev, you had talked about Jewish ideas of like what what happens in the afterlife. And it always struck me as, you know, being some a much more positive influence on children's minds than if you misbehave uh, we're taking away all of your friends and family and you get to sit in the cold dark for the rest of eternity. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, Judaism is much more. Uh, well, yeah, everyone's going to die, but don't worry too much. Yeah. End of sentence. <laughs> Not, you know, maybe you just, just don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious to hear then, like, how did this scene hit you? There's a DMX album called It's Dark and Hell is Hot, which is the first thing I thought of. Because I was like, I do like that it was dark. Good imagery there. Uh, yeah. But I got a little bit mad, actually. And this is when I got a little worked up. I was yeah. like, fuck you. How mm-hmm. dare you? 
How dare you? You're going to send this guy to hell who you know, who you hang out with, who presumably Mm. hasn't killed anyone. This is ridiculous. (laughs) Fuck that. Like what type of, not even what type of God, what type of guy would even think that a type of God would operate as such? You're not even going to stick this guy in purgatory? Nah. Well, no purgatory in this tradition. That's true. That's Catholic. Yeah. That's where all the babies go. This is why Mormonism ends up inventing a totally different afterlife system, mm. right? What is that? There just pr- probably isn't a hell. There might be if you like really fucking suck. Like if you're so bad, yeah. maybe. But there's like three levels of the afterlife. Uh-huh. One of which is like not great. Okay. And then like the two <laughs> other ones are like pretty good and like fu- fuck yeah. You get, yeah, awesome. The, the, you get and your own some planet, people get right? to be Yeah, some well some people can go even beyond that and become a god of their and own, then you get your like, own solar planet. system. Yeah. What the yeah. hell? But like th- th- this was part of what they're trying to square right. in like yeah. early the the same early America that produces a lot of this evangelical tradition also creates these offshoots like Mormonism that can't actually make any sense of something like hell actually existing because it's like that's forever yeah. and it's just because Eugene like he, he just didn't fill out the right form right. I, I I don't I don't vibe with it yeah it's really grim I think among other things it's not right to tell to tell kids something like this because I imagine they would be anxious what if I don't believe enough? Right. And then it's an arms race. Oh, yeah. More and oh, more. yeah. You get that. You get that buy in. I think mm-hmm. it really should be presented. It would be pretty fucked up if they presented it like all Jews are going to hell, but not us Christians. And as a Jewish person, mm-hmm. I think that would be nicer for Christian kids to hear even. <laughs> I'm serious because it's not nice because Eugene is Christian coded. Right. Now, let, let me rephrase that. When you're Jewish, I've talked to people uh, in my life and they're like, oh, I'm not Christian. I was like, did you go to church? Like, like on Christmas or if my grandparents are in town, I'm like, no, Judaism is like an ethnic religion. And as such, through that lens, we see Christians as an ethnic religion. Right. So in that sense, I'm like, listen, Eugene is clearly Christian. Lay off the poor guy. I'm sure he got baptized or something. Well, he was he was an orphan, right? That was his whole thing. Like he didn't have. Yeah, well, that's even more fucked up. But I guess <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, all orphans go to hell. I mean, that's right. just right. Well, but his parents his parents were alive at some point during his childhood. I'm I'm not really sure how old he was when they died, but like. But at Christmas, they would only read like uh, uh, scientific journals. <laughs> is that yeah. what they say? That's actually yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, that is. Yeah, that's true. Well, the, okay. <laughs> Like nuclear plant operating manuals and things like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, then I guess what I would say there is it makes me mad. Among yeah. other things, it's lame. I guess I, I thought I had a bigger thing. I wound no, it up. No, it is. It is. It's like I, 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 do you, how much exposure have you had to sort of like the this sort of really evangelical stuff and this sort of way of viewing the world? I'm curious. Uh, I, I used to date a girl who was very evangelically Christian. Okay. My mm-hmm. first, it was my, you know, it was like my second ish girlfriend. It was in college when none of these things count. Um, but she was, <laughs> she was very seriously Christian. She grew up dirt poor in China. She oh, came wow. over mm. and the church took her in. They raised her, basically her and her family. Very oh, wow. Christian, very serious with it. Very cute, which is what kept me around, but I digress. (laughs) So she once brought me to church. She would pray for me. She would tell me that Jesus loved me and stuff like that. And my response to that was always, that's so nice. Cause I always thought it was very nice of her. I was like, 
it is nice of you. If you really do believe this stuff, there is an onus on you to try to gently bring people in from the right. fires of hell. And I totally get that. But right, I also right. hope that she wasn't losing any sleep over it. But that's the thing. She probably was that's right. In, in, in this, yeah. right. It doesn't bother me, but it brought pain to her. And yeah. for her sake, yeah. you're mad at this theology. Right. That makes it never sense. bothered me, you know. Well, because it's not it's not your problem. Ultimately, exactly. like this, 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 this doesn't really impact you other than to the extent to which it does through other people, like you were right. saying. It's, it's structured to play off your anxiety mm-hmm. or your empathy. Yeah. And yes. those are two right. messed up levers to be playing with. Uh, yeah. yeah, and especially this uh, the anxiety one, because the very end of the episode, uh, old Chuck, the producer, comes on board <laughs> and says, uh, if you don't feel that you've accepted Jesus into your heart, talk to a parent or pastor who would yeah. be more than happy to tell you about how to let Jesus in. And I would imagine that as a kid hearing that, I'd be like, well, I didn't think that I I didn't think I had a problem until now. Yeah. Yeah, And now I feel like maybe I don't enough. And it's just it's really gross to be fucking with like kids heads like that. Yeah. No deal. Anyway, Wit doesn't fucking die. He comes back. (laughs) So I wanted to play just this one little clip of what Connie says to Eugene, because this. Oh, this is the part that made my blood curdle. If Wit got a tiny taste of heaven, then. Maybe you got a tiny taste of hell. Uh, and Eugene asks her to explain in detail what all of that actually means. But that doesn't lead to his immediate conversion. This isn't like what happens with Connie earlier on where she converts. Oh, and that um, conversation just drove me up a fucking wall. I mean, like to your point about empathy versus anxiety, Lev, she pulls both of these levers in this conversation. She starts mm-hmm. from an empathetic place being like, you look like shit uh, and I care about you. And then immediately dials the anxiety up by being like, but by the way, by the way, though, you know, you. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to step in here, though, because like it's sincere what Connie is doing and what a lot of parents who might be playing this for their child are doing is, is 100 percent sincere course, because I'm not they're saying worried. it's manipulative. I'm saying that, yeah, yeah. that like the fact that it touches these to, I think you put it very well, Lev, that these are the yeah. levers that are pulled. That doesn't yeah. mean that you're doing it cynically or with a yeah. desire to manipulate, but that doesn't change the, the fact that that is the fundamental mechanics and, and of how again, this works. The eternal existence of that other person then becomes on the line, right? Because they could die tomorrow from some, who knows, you know, their house could set on fire. They could get hit by a car or something like that. And then it's just over. So yeah. you as a Christian, you have to continue. Right. This. Like, <laughs> it's a constant crusade. pursuit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, let them rest. Let the kids rest. They're because kids. then at, to some degree, like if they go to hell, you just put someone in hell. Right. Because you didn't work hard enough. Well, that's the advantage of Judaism vis-a-vis the bar mitzvah. Uh, I think mm. there's something like confirmation Christianity or something. But until you're 13, <laughs> you don't really have to uh, have any religious anxiety. Right. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in uh, in Catholicism, if you don't get baptized as a baby, you go to hell if you die before you're confirmed. And that's facts. OK, that's a little not facts. And the reason I say that is because all unbaptized babies, children, basically, they go to purgatory. Oh, OK. Uh, sorry. And purgatory is temporary. And te- right. purgatory is a temporary state. Uh, I did first communion. I received communion and then I was never confirmed into the church, which I believe in their minds means I'm going to hell. Like they don't send other religions to hell. They just send bad Catholics to hell. Right. It's really kind of like their MO. So I think I'm probably going to hell, which is fine because I don't mind Sears. You know, I think it's fine. 
I'll I'll sleep on one of the beds that have like a cardboard mattress, and you know that'll be fine. Have all the Black and Decker tools that I could ever want, <laughs> and all exactly. the ten more brand appliances. <laughs> exactly, and I think there is this like desire for hell in a lot of people that Mm -hmm. there is this thing that like oh this person wronged me this person is a bad person there has to be a greater cosmic consequence for this person's actions uh otherwise why am i working so hard to be good i could just be an asshole like this person that slighted me and the risk and you know like the reward system of the christian afterlife was built to sort of monopolize on that and also mm-hmm, yeah. you know at least in the catholic church to make a lot of money for priests right because you could buy your way into <laughs> fucking heaven uh what a great hustle that was fantastic yeah. hustle he got to respect it was, it was, oh god you got to respect the hustle also the fish thing oh that's a fantastic catholic hustle i believe in divine punishment for people who wronged me specifically same uh, same no. <laughs> uh, but no uh, to your point i always subscribe not to sound lame or anything like that but mm. bad people are just so unhappy um i think that mm. if we were watching through a television if 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 we were if we were in the imagination room let's put it this way uh, the imagination mm-hmm. station lev i think a lot of us would be looking at, would be looking at donald trump and being like this is the least happy guy we've yeah. ever seen he was this billionaire president and all he can obsess about is slights this is a man mm-hmm. incapable of joy yeah. he's a man yeah. who does not understand music or love uh it's a monstrous way to live especially it, because it is wit designing the trump situation in the imagination station it would end with trump <laughs> sucking you off um, <laughs> yeah i i think that Eternity is such a long, long time. Yes. You know, that the idea that someone has to be punished for something they did. Like, I think about there are people who have done some really awful things to me, Mm -hmm. but it like it was 10 years ago and I don't care anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Eternity is 10 years times like at least 60. (laughs) At some point, it's just like, where does the punishment even need to happen? Right. Unless you believe in the concept of Earth as being like the crucible for the soul. Right. The place where the soul is actually birthed and forged in the human body and then passed on to the real existence. Uh, there's just nothing either eternal full fucking bliss or eternal complete isolation and punishment with no middle ground annihilation for some wrong that you did at a point that would be so long ago you wouldn't even have the memory of it anymore. Well, Lev, it's speaking to your point, too, about how this whole thing felt like a, a preschooler describing you yeah. know, your your day. It's like imagine having your entire life dictated on what you did in preschool. Mm. from your first day of preschool your first day of preschool like it's it's absurd yeah you know if you bit a kid in preschool there would be consequences (laughs) absolutely fun fact i got expelled from my preschool for biting a kid (laughs) (laughs) so again i'm going to hell yeah you're going Uh, to hell tough luck Oh, oh man! Look, uh, there's this rack of clothing at the Sears. None of them fit me, <laughs> but go. they're there. So here we see two parallel endings. Ooh. Getting lost in one's imagination, memories, even dreams of the future is a, well, it's a limited experience. There are greater adventures to be found in the real world, which leaves only one question. And that is... When can I get out of this hospital and get on with them? You've had enough adventures, Dad. Dad, you've had enough fucking adventures. 
Uh, I do like the false uh, ending here before we get yeah. this ending now. Well, Eugene, what are you going to do? What indeed, Miss Kendall? What indeed? <laughs> it's all about how concerned we should be that John Avery Whitaker is dying, right? Or has the potential to die. And I found myself, there's a there's a scene in here where Wit hugs his dead wife and dead son. And mm-hmm. you hear Wit's voice break. And it, all of the cues were lined up for me to have an emotional response. Mm-hmm. And I felt nothing. And I think it's because the life that he lived up until this point was not worth me mourning over. This um, child abusing, sure. holier than thou, just maniacal it's piece of shit, guy. right? Yeah. That being said, hearing Eugene and Tom Riley break down, that those were the moments that actually really affected me. Yeah. Because those two, I think, are actually genuinely good people. Yeah. <laughs> and... I hate that I care about Denizens of Odyssey, but I do. And I do care about Tom and I do care about Eugene. And so to end the episode on Eugene's anguish, yeah, it just it just has that like, well, you know, there's a way he doesn't have to feel that way anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's by coming to our side. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, though, like it, it's, it's a very just, they're they're yeah. selling you the problem so they can sell you the solution. Right. And yeah. that's. That's what this is. What we've experienced together broadly today is really interesting. I think that this is both clearly an examination of stuff that was going on in the time in the early 90s. And I also think it's interesting how crazy this is and muted it is in comparison to what we see today. Yeah. Conservative media today could never do something this calm and mild and ostensibly loving. It would all have to be about how we're going to have sex with them in a bathroom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what's interesting, right? Like we have like the Daily Wire is going to make children's programming now. Uh, fucking Prager U already makes this like just disgusting, bizarre kids videos on YouTube. Yep. I was reading a little earlier and I sent this article along to you, yeah. Brian, about how Hillsdale University uh, is basically becoming an affiliate of literally hundreds of charter schools across the United States, basically indoctrinating them in this conservative dogma. Well, that's their strategy now. Yeah. Everything is going the way like in terms of the rhetoric, it's all Jack Chick, right? It's all the complete fire and brimstone suffering satanic forces, evil Jews coming to get you and adventures in Odyssey, even when it, cause there is a satanic panic episode that was, Ooh. that's very funny uh, where dungeons and dragons makes a demon uh, get summoned and everything oh, like that. that happens. Still, yeah. Don't you, don't you say it. Still plays without the, the furious anger that undergirds all these things, right? It's, it's able to sort of step back and say, no, we're not mad. We're, we're just telling a good, we're, clean story yeah, because good, we clean care. Story about the serious risks of summoning a demon. Yeah. yeah. We're <laughs> exactly. not going to sugarcoat it for you. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> before we, before we uh, take off, would you mind plugging your book one more time? Or anything else you want to plug for Or anything else yeah. you want to plug. The book I'm working on is working title, uh, The Devil's Bible. 
It's an alternative view on Genesis. It's textual based analysis that really dives into applying sort of really the rigorous Hebrew school education approach to the text in Hebrew translated back into English with commentary because it's a really interesting book, the text itself, the meaning itself. So hopefully we can take something out of it and give good old wit some, give this guy something to read. In yeah. the imagination station, <laughs> which is what I, I call the bathroom at this point. <laughs> <laughs> what you were saying, Lev, about how the pitch of everything now has just become more and more fevered. That really is the thing that stands out to me as well. Mm. But ultimately, whether you're talking about like trying to reach people and attack people through this, the horrible sort of like fevered. I would say delusional uh, tone of modern reactionary evangelical conservatism. You know, yeah, that's awful. And it is pitched in a way that makes everybody who experiences it feel bad if they aren't aligned with the program. What we listen to in this episode is not substantively any different. It's a difference Mm -hmm. of, I would Mm -hmm. say, strategy. It -hmm. is a difference of choice of tone, of choice of words, of choice of approach. But at the end of the day, it's the exact same ideology and the exact same core objectives that we're seeing now. And I'm glad that you had the chance to come on and talk with us a little bit about it, as well as, you know, give some insight into both what different traditions sound like in this regard, as well as what you noticed looking at the truly rotten fruit that this tree has borne and continues to bear. Yes. Thank you. And with that said, I'm the worst of all possible Josh's. I'm the worst of all possible AJs. And I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. See y'all next time. Bye. I cannot live another day without air conditioning. Says tomorrow's gonna be hotter. Hotter? Like yesterday. Yesterday? Yesterday you said you'd call Sears. I'll call today. You call now. I'll call now. All right, folks. As always, we are brought to you by our patrons over at Patreon. So if you like this show enough and you really want to see us succeed, why don't you consider becoming one of them? Just like Jimmy McMillan, Ryan Lebrecht, Zachary M. Willett, John Barry, Ario Teabaggin, and Keith Nolan just did. Despite all of our great commercials, those are all produced in-house for products that don't exist, like birds and the Holy Spirit. Of course, I would like to thank our $10 patrons, and they include the loveliest of people on this planet Earth. Katie Wall, Alexa Valentine, John John Johnson, SilverBear909, Dara Swisher, Tony Diddy, Hannah White, Timmy Sexton, Ashley Stoneman, and Nikola Donov. Have a good one. Now's the time to save on Sears installed central air conditioning. Get 0% finance charge, no billing, and no payments until August with the Sears Charge Home Improvement Plan. Call now for a free in-home estimate on a Kenmore air conditioning system. State-of-the-art engineering means greater energy efficiency. A new Kenmore could save 10 to 44% on your annual cooling costs. In time, even pay for itself. Sears also offers fast emergency installation, a five-year warranty on parts and labor, plus our satisfaction guarantee. And you know Sears will be there to back it up. Get 0% finance charge, no billing, no payments until August. Offer ends May 31st, so call now and save with Sears. So what's the paper say about tomorrow? Another scorcher. Cool.